Wake up, wake up, wake up, 49ers fans. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us here on Wake Up. Damon Bruce, Larry Kruger, and what do you know? Here's something no one's ever said before, Larry. 49ers-Lions in the NFC title game. How about that? Wow. Um, I really thought we would see this uh, when I saw the matchups, and here it is. Detroit's not an accident. They got seven awesome players. I mean, truly awesome. Four on th- four on offense, three on defense. <clears throat> Panesul at right tackle, Frank Ragnow, Sam Laporta, Amon Ra, Jameer Gibbs. I should say five on offense, three on defense. And then Aiden Hutchinson, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Brian Branch. Those eight players are as good at almost as any players at their respective positions in the league. They are here because largely because of the incredible play of those eight players. And how about the fact that Frank Ragnow probably spent more time getting coverage than any center in a divisional round has ever received because of the injury and him sticking it out and gutting it out and really opening up some big holes and big moments for the Lions as they edge out and win in gritty fashion. You had a couple of nail biters to go along with the nail biter that the 49ers served up on Saturday night. It was only the Ravens who can say, but for a half, they had a pretty easy route to host the, the championship game over in their conference, but a couple of really good games on Sunday, Larry, and we have Four very good football teams. Whoever wins the Super Bowl this year will have absolutely earned it. Yeah, no question. Um, you know, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. They're going to be a tough out because of Mahomes. Ravens are a very complete football team. Um, you know, the the Lions, I think, are, are absolutely the toughest, hardest-hitting team in the league. And the Niners are right there with them. So, 49ers of the four, to be honest, looked the worst in this divisional round. Um, how much of that was Green Bay? How much of that was the Niners? We can discuss that this morning. But 49ers have to get it rolling and get it rolling fast and make some really tough decisions. I watched that film. I watched the, I watched the whole breakdown of, of Niners-Packers a couple times now. And um, there are some guys who you know didn't play well. And um, and need, may need to be Niners may need to tinker with their lineup a little bit, and then we don't know the status of Debo. Uh, the Niners consider him 50-50 for this game against the Lions. All I'll say is all of the 49er uh, offensive players, Debo included, don't play in this one if you're not ready to get hit because the Lions are going to hit you. Absolutely, and I'm tell- I'm telling you right now, without knowing anything about it, Debo's playing. If you're 50-50 today, that means you'd be a game-time decision today, and the decision to play in the championship game is no decision at all. You go. So I'm I'm expecting Debo to play. I have watched the 49ers-Packers game again, and I'll tell you, the amount of blame of underperformance can be spread all over the field, including the Green Bay Packers, Larry. The Packers were good at times. They were really good at times. So, you know, give some credit to the opponent, but there were underperformances all across the 49ers on every front, on every level, and all the talent that has, you know, absolutely paid off huge. 
uh, paid off big with a win, obviously, but didn't do the things that we expect it to do. I think that the weather was a factor in that. Brock Purdy's underperformance was a factor in that. Shanahan gagging away a moment or two was a factor in that. And having said all of that, as critical of of a lens as you want to put on that game, and we went through it with a fine-tooth comb on a special Sunday edition of Wake Up, which we did right after the 49ers-Packers went to bed on Saturday night. You and I were back at it on Sunday morning. It's great to have everyone here this Monday morning. Thanks for starting your week with us. Um, Boy, you take away those Ambry Thomas PIs, Larry and you take away that special teams return, and that game just feels so much differently. It feels so much differently. The 49ers' defense didn't have as bad of a day as it felt as it was having it. It really didn't. No, I agree. I agree. There there, there were breakdowns, and Logan Ryan, for example, I thought was horrible against the run, and if Jair Brown's able to go going forward, I think they got to make that switch, man. You you can't have a safety who's just kind of out there, you know, in the vicinity of of the running back. You need a safety that's going to come down and strike the running back. And um, I don't think Logan Ryan is is that guy. And look, it, they need to tackle better. This is a concern that we thought with the rest would have been alleviated with Eric Armstead being back out on the field. It was going to provide some relief there. It really didn't. And I do think that, you know, there's probably not a lot of hard coaching in between a divisional win and the title game. It's all prep and kind of walk through and getting ready. But if the 49ers want to have a full practice on Wednesday and work on tackling, I'm cool with that. And they should be cool with that too. They need it. They really do. And um, I know for a fact, if tackling were a problem in Detroit, Dan Campbell would have a live practice this week. And Larry, I think that's where I want to start this conversation about this matchup, because I think, by the way, not to interrupt you, but nine missed tackles for the Niners against Green Bay nine. Yeah. That feels like about eight too many. You know, it really does. Yeah. Um, Dan Campbell and Kyle Shanahan are completely different human beings, like down to their core and how they eat breakfast. They're different. I really believe that they go about things in totally different ways. And in this season of football, they're sitting in a game, which means they've delivered certainly comparable results. Both teams, 12 and five. Uh, It shows you that there's more one way to skin a cat. I think Kyle absolutely relishes his, you know, professorial sort of approach to the game of football as much as Dan Campbell relishes his, I'm a former player who is now a coach and he embraces, and I mean this in the best possible way he embraces all the personality traits of being a meathead and it absolutely is a a source of energy that his own team feeds off of you and i had a lot of fun with this doesn't matter if you have one ass cheek and three toes i will beat your ass that is who he is i mean i i really mean it that should go on dan campbell's tombstone one day because it explains who he is he's a guy who doesn't talk like a trained media professional because he's not dealing with trained media professionals unless he's in the actual press conference and they eat up everything he says. Anyways, this is a guy who really knows how to talk to his players and identify with them because he was a former player. Now, Kyle does it in a much different way. Um, just as effective, if, if not already proven more effective, 
Kyle lets everyone know not just how to do it, but why it's being done. He is more of a teacher, where Dan Campbell is more of a gym teacher. But they both have worlds to live and succeed in and thrive in in the NFL. It shows you that there are different ways to go about finding success in this league. It's an incredible difference of head coaches who are both now going after the same thing. No doubt. No doubt. Um, Dan Campbell, you know, I think a lot of us thought, oh, man. I mean, uh, Dan Campbell played from the, my, the team that I root for in college football, Texas A&M. And he's a, he is a tough guy. He's a tough guy, but you know what I love about him? He's real. And when you read the one thing you have to be and so is Kyle Shanahan, by the way, as far as he doesn't have the, the ridiculous toughness of Dan Campbell, but he's real. Why does, why do guys run through a wall for Kyle Shanahan? Because he's, he, 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 he you know, he shoots you straight. He might, you may not like to hear it, Jimmy Ward, but he shoots you straight. He tells you what's up. And if, if that means he's got to be harsh, then he's harsh. Uh, but Dan Campbell is 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 a, a, an incredible leader. He has done what so many have talked about doing, which is we're going to change a culture. He went into Detroit. We know the culture of Detroit football. They're losers, and they've always been losers. I mean, not always, but for our, all of our lifetime. Um, and that's a long time. You know, we're talking about 50 years of losing. So um, they're losers, and he's made them winners. And his guys play. Now, are they the most talented team? They got, as I said, they've got eight great players, but they also have some weaknesses. And um, they can be beat, but he's captivating in front of a group of people. Here he is yesterday. Listen to this. In the game, play. You guys, you guys are unbelievable, man. I, I'm telling you, we talked about it all, all year. This started a long time ago. You're built for this. You were built for this, man. And look what you guys did. You went out there and the what? It's another hot team that we knocked off. It's the next hot team that you knock off. Do you know how hard it is to win this? league in the playoffs yes, do you understand what you're doing right now what we're capable of that's two all right that's two we got two to go with a pie in the middle so there you go i mean a little bit of, a little taste of dan campbell there um the guy is real he's a straight shooter he's got a really brad holmes is an outstanding young general manager they're hitting in the draft, uh, they've hit, you know, albeit they've, they've gotten some really high picks because of, of how bad they've been. Right. You, you know, that the Niners got Nick Bosa, well, they got Aiden Hutchinson, you know? So, I mean, um, they're fast, they're physical, they're really tough to stop on offense. They're hard hitting on defense and bring it on, man, bring it on. It's going to be, this is going to be a battle Royale. It, once again, if you're one of these Niner offensive weapons, Kittle, Kittle's going to get hit, you know, um, Debo. I don't know how that shoulder is going to be. Niners need him bad. Chauncey Gardner Johnson's going to hit him. So there, the Niners have advantages in this game and we'll get to them, but the, you know, do not show up for this game thinking that this is going to be 
you know, I think Green Bay could have been better in certain areas than Detroit, but Detroit's harder hitting for sure. And it's going to be incredibly physical. And and here's the other one, too. The Niner D-line, who didn't sack the quarterback last week. Um, granted, Green Bay was number two pass block win rate. Uh, Detroit's 14th. But Detroit will run. Their run blocking O-line is dominating. And the 49er D-line better eat their Wheaties this week because the 49er D-line um, is going to have a hard time winning this game. They got three great, really good offensive linemen. Dan Campbell is coming to Santa Clara to run the ball down the 49ers' throat. Make no mistakes about it. Yeah. That's the game plan. It's it's more of that's the game plan than when Larry and I were talking about, hey, when the Packers get to town, uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan should really figure out a way to get 40, 45 carries out of all that stable of talent in his backfield and blah, 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 blah. And that was a way to go about it, and they didn't really go about it that way, and they still got it done. The Lions aren't getting this done without running the ball down the 49ers' throat. Dan Campbell knows that. And so that's what they're coming to do. Mark my words, mark Larry's words. That's exactly what this team's coming to do. And again, in the postseason, an awful lot rides on the play of your quarterback. And Niners fans went through that almost to the negative in the divisional round because it was not a great day for Brock Purdy. Maybe wasn't even as bad as some of us thought it was the first time we looked at it. And we'll go back through that game in a minute. But the number one way to beat the Detroit Lions is in the air. They do not do well against an aggressive downfield passing attack. And when it comes to getting beat by downfield passes, the 49ers have given up some big plays downfield in the air, chunk plays. The, 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 the Lions really don't attack. Like they keep Jared Goff in a box that he's successful in. You know, you still want to attach the game manager to him. Um, he shouldn't be offended by it. And he's had great success with it. Jared Goff is 60 minutes away from appearing in his second Super Bowl on another team. And they're still going to call him a system quarterback, Larry. But he takes what is given to him. He's a smart quarterback. Jared Goff, is he makes the right choices. And in that regard, there's an awful lot of similarity between he and Brock Purdy. He doesn't put the ball at risk. This is something he might have done a little bit too much when he was with Los Angeles. It's changed. And I don't know if Dan Campbell's responsible for that change or the robust running attack or more talent around him or the protection that he gets. But this is a better Jared Goff than we absolutely remember. Um, you know, going and back. They, and they don't, you know, on Goff, by the way, um, <clears throat> 67% in the regular season, 30 touchdowns, 12 picks, passer rating of 97.9. He was good against the Bucs yesterday, 287, two touchdowns. But the defining characteristic of, of Detroit, they don't throw deep a lot. They throw deep just 7% of the time. It's the lowest rate in the entire NFL. But what they do do is golf is absolutely laser-focused in the short and intermediate areas, and they've got Laporta and, and obviously Amon Ross St. Brown, and it's a very difficult thing to stop. So the Niners are going to have to get up on the line of scrimmage and really challenge these guys inside of a 10 to 12 yard box and, and absolutely challenge every throw. Um, and it's going to be difficult to do because Amon Ra is a better individual receiver than any of green Bay's receivers. He had a monster year that probably put should have put him in the, in the pro bowl um, again, but overlooking Detroit lions, and their success, it's easy to do. This has been a 
eminently dismissible franchise throughout really the entirety of the franchise's history. But this is a good football team. And I know that there are some people already in the chat saying, oh boy, you know, Damon and Larry are going, the boys who cried wolf two weeks in a row. Are, did we cry wolf on the Green Bay Packers or did you nearly shit your pants as you almost lost a home game to the Green Bay Packers? Yeah, yeah I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, you can sit there and say we're crying wolf or did we have the best preview of the game whenever when there were other people saying the Niners were going to win by four touchdowns? And I said, be very, very, very afraid of Green Bay. They have every possibility of rolling into your place and handing you a playoff defeat. How's that looking right now? It's almost like we kind of know what we're talking about. I'm not saying we totally know what we're talking about. But we, <laughs> right, kind of. Kind of, kind of know what we're yeah. talking about. Uh, please hit like, please hit subscribe. If you'd kind of like to support what you're watching, we'd really appreciate it. Memberships available on both channels. This is nothing short of the fastest growing 49er content show out there in the world. So we thank you so much for being here to support Wake Up. It's great to have you here. And just to get back to... Because I just think it's 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 absolutely a fascinating thing to talk about the different style of coaches in this game and how you can get similar results with different styles. Um, and I really think, Larry, to go back to why these locker rooms buy two very different salesmen is because they're authentic. You said yeah, it. They, they are authentic. Kyle is who he is, and he doesn't pretend to be anyone he isn't. And sometimes that means he is aloof. He is acting a, a touch. I think I'm smarter than you. But he's also got the resumes and credentials to back that up. Dan Campbell, um, I, I remember when he was hired, Ray Ratto nearly fell out of his chair thinking that this was going to be a failure because NFL locker rooms don't buy rah-rah bullshit, and they really don't if all it is is just rah-rah. Campbell's a rah-rah guy, but he's more than that. There's substance to his rah-rah-rahness, and players do feed sometimes off of less intellectual approach and more just straight up, grab your hat, let's go hit somebody. And Dan Campbell preaches that. He preaches that. I saw another video this week that goes back to a, a scene from Hard Knocks this year where he was basically saying, guys, I just need you to trust me. I'm going to make you tougher than you've ever been in your entire life. And our practices are going to be hell in order for that to be the outcome. But you got to trust me. I know what I'm doing. I wouldn't do anything that I didn't think was the best thing for you. So while you're sitting here motherfucking me because there's another full pads practice, you need it. We have to change the way we behave in this city of Detroit. And I mean, the, the team was just sitting there and they, they felt like they were ready to hit him in the in the post-practice scrum. I mean, they were they were ready to go. They were ready to do another full pads practice when he was done. Larry, you know, I don't know what the average IQ of an NFL locker room is. I think maybe the lowest IQ'd locker room out there might be a baseball clubhouse because you got so many guys just coming out of high school. Like they don't even have a, a college course under their belts. Maybe the the worst red clubhouse is a, is a major league clubhouse or an NBA clubhouse. I don't know. You know, no one's there to play school anymore. But what every single locker room that I've ever been in and you've ever been in is really good at is detecting bullshit. 
That's maybe the greatest attribute of professional athletes. They got incredible bullshit detectors. They really do. And they know whether the person coaching them or selling them, whatever the game plan is, or this week's uh, list of priorities is, they, they know whether it's authentic or this is bullshit. This is real or this is not. They have incredible detectors. And if Dan Campbell were bullshit, even a lousy Lions mm-hmm. locker room would have sniffed that out. So, um, well, I mean, there's two, there's two things too. I mean, you, you know, you win in the NFL when you got great players playing great. I know that sounds super simplistic, but you need one guy to get you great players. And then you need one guy to make them play great. And Dan Campbell will make you play and and play as hard as you can. And then he's, he's surrounded um, you know, himself with Aaron Glenn, who's a terrific young defensive coordinator. And the offensive coordinator is equally great and going to be a head coach in a matter of a matter of minutes. And and nobody knows Brad Holmes. So let me just tell you about Brad Holmes real quick. He was the he was a Rams director of college scouting from 2013 through 2020. And in that window, the Rams added Aaron Donald, <laughs> LaMarcus Joyner, some really good players, Rob Havenstein, Cooper Cup, Dot, Todd Gurley, Tyler Higbee, Jared Goff, which is part of the reason that they were happy to take Goff because Brad Holmes was the guy who originally drafted Goff. He said, I'll take him here. Um, Samson Ebukam, Niner fans remember him. Josh Reynolds, John Johnson. Cooper Cup, as Damon said, not in the first round. Cooper Cup in the third round. Gerald Everett, Sebastian Joseph Day, who who the Niners now have on the defensive line, pretty good football player. Um, you know, so I mean, Noda Boom, who's hurt right now, but he's a pretty good football player. Taylor Rapp, Daryl Henderson, David Long, they they you know, um, some good players, some absolutely good players. So Brad Holmes knows talent. They brought in um, some help as as far as a veteran guy um, to to help him out in the draft because he was new to it. So they've got John Dorsey, who's a a fantastic. um, He's kind of like a Scott McLuhan at this point. He's a really, really good personnel guy who used to be a general manager who now gets hired basically you know, uh, it seems like every couple of years by somebody else to be a draft consultant. So they had John Dorsey in the room. And they hit. They hit on all these draft picks. And by the way, the most significant offseason move in the NFL may have been the Eagles losing Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and the Lions gaining Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Look at the difference in those two teams, largely due to that one player. So they, they've got, you know, they got a guy who gets them great players, and they got a, they got a head coach who gets it out of them and two really talented young coordinators, you know, that's it. They're there. They're real. So the Niners, and the Niners know they're real. Well, um, They're not going to sneak reasons, up on anybody. One of the reasons why they're real is because they got instant returns, and, and, and it's why they're ahead of schedule. And the Lions, you know, last year was a step forward. This year was supposed to be another step forward. It's, you know, the playing with an expectation of having a good year was supposed to be the box that was checked by the lions this year. No one really had the lions like, yeah, I think they're going to go to the super bowl. Like you were a lions fan. If you were really saying that, 
Well, Jameer Gibbs, Jack Campbell, Sam Laporta, Brian Branch, as you've already said, four players who are among the best players on the team, and they're all rookies. You know, they got instant dividends from the talent that they drafted. And when you do that, it accelerates. It puts on steroids a team's timeline. So um, there's an element of too young to even feel the pressure of the moment. So that should keep them loose and dangerous. And they've also got, you know, a guy like Jared Goff, who has been highly touted, overrated, underrated, appreciated, not appreciated, got to get better with the trade, you know, got to trade you to, to get better. That's a, that's a tough thing for a quarterback of all positions, Larry, to hear. In order for us to get better, we're going to improve not the blocking you receive, not a couple, you know, catchers around you or anything like that. We're going to improve you. We're bringing in a better quarterback than you are. And look, the Rams, they made the right choice. They won a Super Bowl making that move. But the Detroit Lions did not take this big step back. And they got a guy who absolutely could have, you know, kind of sulked or pouted or just gotten that big paycheck and sort of played out the string in, in Detroit. And who really cares? Because no one's expecting anyone to be good in Detroit, not ever. And I got a pretty girlfriend, fiance, and Goff's life will be, you know, really good when he has made his fortune in the NFL, gets out while he can still walk when he's an old man and he's going to come back to the Bay Area and buy a gorgeous house up in Marin and and just live a great life. Like, it was all set up for easy street. No one's going to hold it against you if you don't find success in Detroit, Jared Goff. And look at where he is. Look at where he is. He's coming back to Santa Clara. He's coming back to Northern California where he played his high school and college ball, where he grew up, to try to go to the to the Super Bowl with the Detroit Lions, which Larry brings me to the next point I would like to make about what we're all going to be going through this week. Larry, are you ready for the biggest 49er hate week you've ever lived in your entire life? The Lions are America's darling right now. There's no question about it. Get ready for a lot of people. um, And everybody and everybody's got the recency bias to sit there and say, you know, Purdy's not him and the Niners aren't it. And, they, you know, the Niners' frailties as a team were on full display in this last round. And Detroit's a great story, and America loves a great story. And so, yeah, the, it's going to be, uh, you know, Lions fans and and all casual casual fans will be rooting for the Lions. How about this? The only people rooting for the San Francisco 49ers will be people who identify as 49ers fans. Everybody else. Everybody else is going to be on the Detroit Lions. Yeah. America, uh, the Fox is going to want the Detroit Lions to win this game. CBS, who has the Super Bowl this year, is going to want the Detroit Lions to win this game. And that's absurd, right? Because the 49ers have proven just why the, the way that they, they pack opposing stadiums, that they're one of the biggest brands in the world of football. But the interest and intrigue and the rarity of the Detroit Lions being in the Super Bowl would be one of the easiest network lead-up sells in the history of, hey, have we got something unique for you to watch on Super Bowl Sunday? Well, you know, though, there are a lot of Packer fans that believe that the Niners got that fourth down call in the first half in their favor and that the league wants the Niners in the ultimate game because of the proximity of the Bay Area to Vegas and what it will do to that party and 
Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, you know, I'm sure people can, there's a lot of green Bay fans saying, yeah, I think the, the league wants the Niners, but I think a lot of people would like to see, you You know, week one, wasn't it the lions beating the, the Kansas city chiefs at Arrowhead? I, yeah. I, I could see them uh, wanting that kind of a, that kind of a rematch, but who cares what the league wants? Uh, you know, I, I don't, it's, this isn't scripted. And the tougher teams are going to wind up in Super Bowl Sunday. I really believe that. I got a, a buddy of mine, the only real Lions fan I've ever met. I've, I know one true, honest to God, like will go to a sports bar no matter how bad of a year they're having to watch the freaking Lions. Like he's the one asshole in the bar going, can you put the Lions game on? Like nobody <laughs> wants to watch that game, buddy. But it, 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 the I, I, I remember the very first week of this football season texting him. I'm like, I'm I'm not ripping you, Tommy. This isn't meant to be like a disparaging comment. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's the biggest win for the Detroit Lions in your lifetime. Like, this is supposed to be a year where maybe something could happen, and they just went into Arrowhead and won in week one. Like, is that the biggest win of your entire Detroit Lions lifetime? And he wrote back, yes. Yes, it is. Absolutely, it is. This, you know, <laughs> this is the only day I've ever enjoyed watching the Detroit Lions since Barry Sanders retired. Is one of the things he wrote back, and uh, and so you know, hats off to Dan Campbell and his goofiness and his authentic personality. Come on, these these nuts, <laughs> and and it, this should be a hell of a football game. But I do want to say this. And it's no time to beat your chest if you're a Niner fan or be arrogant about anything. The truth is, Larry, the, the 49ers should beat the shit out of the tr Detroit Lions. They really should. They really should. And it's up to Brock to do it. And you can almost see in some of the pregame stuff that I've already been reading. And again, it's early in the week. The better pregame stuff will come out as the week goes along. But just in all the, the kind of first look articles, it feels like the number one thing that the Lions and Lions critics even say that they've got going for them right now is that Brock Purdy just had a bad game. It, that is among the first sentences you will read of any breakdown of why the Lions can maybe go in and win this game because Brock Purdy didn't play well against the Green Bay Packers. And if that's one of the biggest reasons why the Lions can win this game, it's also one of the biggest reasons why the Lions will lose this game because you can carve up the Detroit Lions. You can also really hit them with a deep ball. And that's what Brock does. I mean, there should be some big, fat chunk plays in the 49ers passing game for them to enjoy and matchups for Kyle Shanahan to exploit in every quarter of this upcoming football game on Sunday night. So I uh, let me just say, you and I will spend all week long talking about how impressed we are with the Lions, how good we are with the Lions, but I think the, the 49ers win this game. I think the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl, Larry. Well, that's that's great, um, but I'll say this. The Lions' offensive line is probably going to beat the 49er defensive line. So then you're going to have to somehow, you know, you're going to have to somehow uh, win this game while your D-line loses because I, 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 you know, and we'll see, but uh, the Niner D-line is good, but I think the Detroit O-line is better. So 
Now, Jonah Jackson, their left guard is hurt. So what does that mean? Is that a, is that a heart? Is that mean Hargrave has a big performance? Um, I thought the Ford Niner D line played pretty well at times against green Bay. It wasn't like Most Jordan had love better, had all day. They didn't sack Jordan love, but they, they got pressure on him. Mostly Bosa. Bosa. I had a better day than it looked upon first view. You watch yeah. the game again and you're looking to, for what went wrong on that defensive line and plenty of things went wrong, but really Bosa was not one of them. But can the Niners defend Amon Ra? Can do they have a do they have a corner that can stay with Amon Ra? I think you I have maybe Ward to shadow him. Yeah, well, I mean, but it can can Ward do it? I mean, Amon Ra caught 119 balls, and he's he will he will turn you into a pretzel. I mean, he's just so his his footwork is so sudden, so explosive. He's he's in lockstep with Goff. So I mean. The Niners D line has to somehow against this awesome O line um, interrupt Goff and and get hands in his face and take away his passing windows. And at the same time, they're going to have to stop David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. And Laporta's a really tough cover. So to me, I mean, that's you know number one, number one on the list of things in this game. Can Steve Wilkes' defense slow down? a top five offense that with a dominating offensive line, a dynamic running back combination, a fantastic Kyle Shanahan like play caller. Um, you know, they're going to go for it on fourth down. So that that's the big one. And, and then, um, you know, 49ers are just going to have to be ready for, you know, for Brian branch, I think is the best nickel back in the game right now. And he's playing at a really, really high level. And that's a very important position. And then Kirby Joseph and um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson are the best, you know, the hardest-hitting safeties. They're the equivalent of Whitner and Goldson from a few years ago. Um, and um, and Hutchinson's got eight sacks in the last four games. So he's a, he's a difference maker on the defensive end spot. The rest of their defense... I think you can make plays like Cam Sutton on their, on the, you know, their corner, the former Pittsburgh Steeler. He's just a guy. Kendall v Vilder, um, just a guy that their, their corners are not great, but I do feel good about Brock Purdy because Brock didn't look particularly good uh, in this last game. I thought the rust was there, but at the end of the day, we're still talking about a quarterback who's 17 and four, three and one in the playoffs. He's been in back-to-back -back NFC Championship games to start his career, and I think he's going to bounce back with a huge game. Now, hopefully the conditions will be a little bit uh, more dry and more true. I think the faster surface could benefit the 49ers over the next couple of days, next couple of games. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel good. I think the Niners are going to play better than they did this week, but um, Detroit's O-line and you know, Gibbs and Montgomery and Laporta and Amon Ra are probably better than what Green Bay offered. Should be a hell of a game. By the way, speaking of careers started in consecutive championship games, yeah, conference championship games, do you hear that Patrick Mahomes stat? Every single year that Patrick Mahomes has been a uh, starting quarterback, the Kansas City Chiefs have been in the AFC title game. Six years in a row they have been in the AFC title game. That is... That's incredible. That's really incredible when you look at how the modern NFL is built to rob you of your success. 
six straight championship games. Andy, I saw this stat. Let me bring this one up for you. This was, this one grabbed my eye when I saw it. Sunday will be Andy Reid's 11th conference title game as a head coach. He's now been to one more with the Chiefs than he even got to with the Eagles. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? I mean, and it really is something else that Andy Reid, who's been coaching for roughly 74 years in the NFL, has now been to 11 conference title games. And here is Kyle Shanahan sitting in his fifth and he's only been a head coach for seven seasons. Yeah. That's no, I mean, Kansas really City. Kansas City. I mean, and, and if you're Buffalo today, I mean, you held the ball for over 37 minutes. You were plus one in turnovers um, at home, you know, against a, a chief team that, you know, um, doesn't have, uh, you know, great tackles. But still, Mahomes finds a way to win. And the, the stat that jumped off the page was Mahomes' rushing stats. He had a 24-yard run. That 24-yard run was a backbreaker. And then Kansas City ran. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco ran for six and a half yards a carry. And they couldn't stop Kelsey in the red zone. And then, you know, Mar uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Rasheed Rice, these guys just did just enough. Right, they caught the two more balls that they would have dropped in the regular season, and that was enough to get Kansas City over it. And stop me if you've heard this one before, Larry. Wide right by a Buffalo kicker. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Scott oh. Norwood's like, hey man, I got a friend. Yeah, and 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 and, and how about Bu how about Buffalo with all their all their defensive talent at home? Couldn't couldn't sack Mahomes once. Only got two hits on him all day. Nick Bolton, 13 tackles. My God. I mean, Feel like, just, it felt like uh, Allen gripped a little too on that final drive, a couple of bad choices, and just the, the, the pressure of being the Buffalo Bills at some point in time hits the Buffalo Bills square in the face during playoff games. And look, maybe that's something that the Detroit Lions will be battling as well here. There is an extreme historical difference between the 49ers and, and the Lions. I mean, it's it's it couldn't be more and, and and look, just just to make it fair almost, let's just get out of the trophy case because it's unfair to compare the 49ers trophy case to just about any other team in the entire NFL. You know, the only trophy cases that can stand up to the Niners trophy cases are in Dallas and in Pittsburgh. That's it. Everyone else is like, well, wow. New England. That's a nice. A and, oh, yes. And New England. Let's let's not forget about them. I it's still a newer. It's a newer case. But uh, yeah, nouveau riche. the nouveau riche. Sorry. Um, Shanahan earned his seventh playoff win of his career on Saturday night. The Lions have nine playoff wins in franchise history, and they've been playing football in Detroit since 1930. Again, Shanahan, seven playoff wins in his last five seasons with a win over the Lions. He's going to pass Bill Walsh for the best postseason winning percentage in 49ers franchise history. Kyle has always won in any playoff he ever walked into with Jimmy G or anybody. Uh, he's always won at least two playoff games. The Lions have now won two playoff games in the same playoffs for the first time since 1957. I know. I mean, good. their last win in the NFC Championship, or their last appearance in the NFC Championship, I think was 1957, wasn't it? 
It was actually 1991. In the championship game? The Lions were in the title game with Wayne Fonts in 1991, and they got their doors blown off 41-10 by a team used to be known as the Washington Redskins. Just trying to be historically accurate here. Eric Kramer had an interception and three fumbles that day. He lost two of those fumbles and was so bad that Andre Ware even came into the game. Three turnovers for the Lions, only 11 carries for 44 yards for Barry Sanders because they started throwing the ball too much, trying to chase the scoreboard. And Joe Gibbs had a game plan and the horses to to beat Wayne Fonts that day at RFK Stadium all those wow. years ago. So um, it, it's uh, it's so rare that look, – look at it this way. No one that you will talk to today besides a great-grandparent – can identify with any amount of actual playoff success in the Lions, unless they were, you know, they're still celebrating a a NFC championship game loss from 91. I mean, this is a, if you're, if you're living today, you don't even know what Lions success is. If you're alive right now, certainly if you're watching right now, you have no idea what Lions success is. Maybe if you're listening to the radio, maybe if you're so old, you actually still listen to the radio, you might know that. But Larry, <laughs> anybody who is uh, young and hip enough to be over here on YouTube watching us has no idea what it's like to be a, 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 a happy Lions fan. Like, it doesn't exist. Now, here's a little something that is unique about all of this, too. Larry, do you realize if the Niners beat the Lions on Sunday... Not only are they going to the Super Bowl, but they're going to the Super Bowl having beaten every single team in the NFC that qualified for the playoffs. I don't know how often that has ever happened in football history, that the Super Bowl representative from a conference beat every single team that qualified in their own conference for a postseason. They got wins over the Rams, obviously, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Buccaneers, and the Packers. And if they beat the Lions, they will have beaten every single team in the postseason. So that's that's an impressive, you know, it, it, look, it's been an impressive year of 49ers football. They have been one of the best teams in football all season long. And that's why we have said, I mean, we started this year, you and I, you know, I think we always try to encourage people to stay in the moment and enjoy the ride. Can't just all be about the destination. But we agreed this season for the 49ers begins in the NFC title game. They must be there. So on that note, way on the on the front, really welcome everybody to football season. It's official now. It's underway. Football season has begun for 49ers fans. By the you way, know? late breaking story here. Yes. Zach Ertz has officially signed this morning with the Detroit Lions. Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network reporting this morning that the 33-year-old Bay Area native Monta Vista High School, Stanford, will play against the Niners. <laughs> Uh, he, he's going to start on the practice squad, but there are plans to elevate him for the NFC championship game. So there you go. Zach Ertz is now the three-time pro bowler. We'll, uh, we'll give Jared Goff one more weapon. So I'm not going to say, uh, too little, too late. When you got talent, when you're a good player, you can make a, a big play and one big play can be the difference in, in a game of this magnitude. That should have happened weeks ago if I was supposed to be afraid of it. Straight up. Like, were you telling me Zach Ertz, who's been feet up 
for months now is going to be that big of a difference for the Lions in six days. Well, you so, never know. He's, I, he's he can't hurt. No, I, I don't think he can hurt. Um, you know, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what he looks like. That's for sure. I mean, um, does that mean Laporta's more dinged up or had some kind of recurrence of knee pain? I don't know. Maybe it could be a good thing. I mean, I'll say this for the Lions. They're not, it's not like they're per, a perfect football team. Um, you know, they lost to the Bears. You know, they lost, they give 28 points to the Bears. You know, they, they lost to the Green Bay Packers. They lost to Seattle. They lost at Baltimore. Um, and they lost in Dallas. So, you know, the Niners smoked Dallas and they lost to Dallas. Now we all know that, you know, how that game went, uh, 20 to 19. But, um, you know, unlike Green Bay, where you just didn't know who was going to get the ball, you know what the Lions are going to do. They're going to hand it to Montgomery. They're going to throw it to Gibbs, and they're going to throw it to Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown has led them in receiving like 15 times this year. Uh, Montgomery and Gibbs are their two backs. You know, Goff's been their quarterback all year, and he's playing well, but he's immobile. So, um, you know, there's look getting golf off of his spot or hitting him to Las Vegas. Got to hit him. Got to hit him. Well, you just got to make a move too. I mean, he's, I I don't want to say he's statuesque, but he is, you know, he's, he's, he's not Bernie Kosar back there, but the, uh, he's not a mover though. He's not a mover. He's a, he's a pocket passer with a really good arm and he, you know, what's what's scary about golf is that, and you saw it in the last month of the year, when he wants to, when it's like third and four, he know there's he's in such lockstep with Amon Ra that he just throws it to a spot. So you're really going to have to get your hands up, bat down passes, and you're going to have to get in his windows. Um, and he's, because he's going to, he's going to just, you know, the ball's coming out now. It's not going to be about sacking him as much as, uh, in, you know, getting a hand in his face, knocking passes down, and jumping routes. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see the 49ers defend this team. I think how they go about Sam Laporta defending him or Zach Ertz now on the team, who's ever out there, is where an awful lot of this game gets decided. The middle of the field, you know, Jared Goff is is maybe a little bit more like Alex Smith because by the way, this is also another way to demonstrate what a brilliant coach Andy Reed is like, he's just going to, he's just going to work with the talent that he has. And when he had Alex Smith as his starting quarterback, it was all in the middle of the field. It was everything to tight ends. And I don't think Alex Smith had one touchdown pass to a wide receiver in a season that turned out to be like a decent season. For the Kansas City Chiefs, it was all in the middle, and that's where he was comfortable. Goff is kind of the same way. He wants to be in the middle. Laporta, just comfortable, nice, easy target. Take that away. You got got Fred Warner. I mean, you got a chance to. Fred Warner is – Fred Warner better be the Sam Laporta stopper, right? No doubt. And, 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 and you know, you know what what Detroit's going to do. Detroit's going to run the heck out of the ball. Detroit runs the ball. You know, they, they run the ball a lot. They ran for 114 against Tampa. Uh, they're the 11th highest run rate 
over expectation according to an NFL's next gen. By the way, that's not wild. It's not like they ran wild on the Buccaneers. They didn't. No, but but they run the ball with Montgomery between the tackles. Uh, they flip it out in the flat to Jameer Gibbs, who's incredibly dynamic. Um, and you know, Gibb and 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 they throw they've got a tight end who's really an excellent receiver and one of the toughest cover wide receivers in the game. They got a legit deep threat in Jamison Williams. So I mean they're they're a really, really good offense, but I think the Niners offensively can make some real plays against their against their corners. I think it could be a big day for Ayuk. And if Debo can go, I think it could be a big day for for Debo. How do you stop the run? That was a question that we didn't really spend much of the year worrying about because the Niners, for the most part, stopped the run or at least limited the run, you know, whenever they had to. They just had a monster year. The Niners just had a really good football season. You don't have a good football season if you're just, you know, laying down and dying against the run each and every Sunday. They didn't. Why are they laying down and dying against it now? It feels like if you get around the outside, if you can get to the edge, that's how you attack the Niners, but they've been getting beat in the middle. And Eric Armstead's absence was supposed to explain that away. He comes back and it didn't really improve anything. And maybe that's, you know, hey, Armstead needed at least a game to get back into game shape. I don't know. But why do you think the 49ers have been so beatable on the ground in the last handful of games? Well, in this game, when you watch the film, um, the couple times I saw Logan Ryan come up, he's in the right position, and he just he just didn't strike the running back at all. So um, I got to go with Jair Brown over Logan Ryan at safety. That's well, one. You talk, when we came on the air, you talked about possible lineup changes, and I'm guessing that's first and foremost. Among first them. and foremost, you got to go with Jair Brown. Uh, Logan Ryan is a corner. Who's inside? He's just passable inside against the run. He he'll be there, but <clears throat> he's he's really not going to starch anybody. So that's number one. Two, you added Hargrave. Hargrave's weakness, his strength is a as a pass rusher. His weakness is as a run defender. So you took out you know a a, a more of a run run defender tackle, and you replaced him with a uh, you know a tackle that or a defensive tackle is much more of a pass rusher. They lost Aziz Al-Shair, who was a major part of their run defense a year ago. Um, and I think that hurt them. So I, I think all these things kind of factor in. Emmanuel Mosley was a great run, run down corner who was fantastic setting in the edge. Um, they're not quite as good. I mean, I think they can rally and be better than them. And, and then also, I don't think the Niners have ever been uh, this year as good as the numbers say they are against the run. Um, most of the time, their best run defense is their offense taking the opposing team's running game out of the game by, by you know, having to play catch up and throw the ball. Teams just stop running on the 49ers because they're behind. Um, and so, I mean, it started in week one against Pittsburgh, and um, the Niners got big leads in a number of games. So, you know, Armstead is better against the run than any of their other defensive tackles. So it's good that he's playing and healthy, but they just got to, you know, they've got to get a bunch of hats on the ball. And I think they got to take Logan Ryan off the field for Jair Brown. It's as simple as that. When you're looking at matchups to me, there's just, there's two matchups and it kind of goes the same way for both teams. And the winner of this game might be the winner of this matchup. Who has a better day against whom? 
Adrian Hutchinson against Colton McKivitz or Bosa against Penny Sewell? Who's going to have the better day? And the answer to that question is maybe who goes to Las Vegas. You got two of the best players going after two right tackles who are kind of different, right? Sewell might be the best right tackle in football. I don't think McKivitz has been called that by anybody, not even Mrs. McKivitz, you know? So um, Hutchinson is, is a beast. He really is. And Kyle might need to have a little extra help against him. You know, you need to treat him. You, you, McKivitz might need a little help this week, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Kyle, use check. You're going to be one a red alert over on the right side. And the ball's going to have to come out fast. You know, um, I, I think they did a decent job this week of pass protection. I mean, the nice thing about going against Detroit is you can, you know, where the, you know, you know, where he, Aiden Hutchinson is. I mean, you can slide your line over towards him um, and, and, you know, throw an extra body his way. Um, I don't think Josh Pascal, the former Kentucky defensive end, is anything close to Hutchinson. I like Aleem McNeil, but I mean, it, I, I think Hutchinson, I mean, this is why I think Detroit could be a year ahead of their time here is that on all three levels of their defense, they've got some great players, but also they've got some just eh, okay players. Anzalone's a little beat up right now at, at linebacker. Um, at their defensive line outside of Hutchinson is not spectacular. Their, their corners are not spectacular. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's the Niners should be able to have success offensively in this game. And then it's going to be about, you know, can, can you get a hand in Goff's face? Can you interrupt his rhythm? Can you get in the passing lanes? I mean, you, you know who you got to handle here. You got to slide your line towards Hutchinson um, on offense. And on defense, you have to try to take away Amon Ra. You've got to try to get between Goff and Amon Ra. You got to cover Gibbs out of the backfield. You got to cover Laporta, and you got to be you got to gang tackle Montgomery. He's a two hundred and twenty five pound back with power. And don't do the thing that lets the Lions do the thing that they don't do very often. Do not let Jared Goff go over the top on you. Don't lose anybody behind you. I mean, that is the mandate of this entire secondary. Keep it all in front of you. And the lines will let you keep it all in front of you because they just don't throw the deep. The raw data of the matchup, and you already kind of alluded to this, uh, Larry, the 49ers have given uh, have given up the deep ball, I, th I think, too often throughout the year. The Lions throw the fewest deep balls in the NFL. So they're not looking to stretch the field on you. They're really not. Um, you know, <laughs> you want to say Jared Goff is dink and dunk? Maybe there's an argument there, right? I mean, they just don't stretch the field with deep downfield shots, which means in order to catch the 49ers off guard, you know that they're going to play against their own tendencies. You know that they're dialing up, you know, flea flickers, like whatever it takes. And a flea flicker might really hurt the Niners because you're biting so hard on these runs. Um, the Lions are the are, are, are a classic example of a run-heavy team. You can expect huge doses of that 
and it remains a vulnerable attack, a vulnerable attack point against the 49ers. So again, Dan Campbell's coming to run the ball 35, 40 times. Make no mistakes. And I don't think that they're going to abandon the run because they really don't have a plan B to make up for, all right, well, we're down. We're, we're down two scores. Jared's got to get it cooking. He's got to start attacking downfield. They don't do that. They don't, well, you, they don't, you, they you gotta, you gotta be able to sack Jared Goff too. I mean, I mean, if you look at the, look at his game log for the year, they lost to the bears. The bears had four sacks. Um, they lost to the Ravens. The Ravens had five sacks, you know, they lost to Seattle. Seattle had multiple sacks. So, I mean, when they lost this year, Goff got sacked. So, I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to have to sack the quarterback and Goff will throw picks. He threw two against Dallas. He threw two against Chicago. Uh, he threw three against Chicago in the first matchup. You know, he threw 12 picks this year. He'll he'll throw you some picks. It's not like he doesn't throw any. Um, but you got to hit him. You got to hit him. And you got, you know, he's he's not mobile. So you know where he's going to be. But he's got a really good arm. And he's in lockstep with his number one receiver. We are uh, just slipping into hour number two. It's great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for tuning in to Wake Up. Damon Bruce, Larry Kruger, like, subscribe. Membership's available. Toggle that little notify button. That certainly helps. But uh, we have a, a big audience in here right now. Larry, on my side of the room, I'm sure you do too. So um, it is, uh, it's great to have you here. And look, enjoy this week, 49ers fans. And call a 49er fan if you want to find anyone else rooting for the 49ers. Because as we said earlier, all of America, anyone who likes the plucky underdog story is going to be rooting for the Lions. Even though they're not, you know, they, it's their reputation that casts them as the plucky underdog more than the season of football that they just had. They deserve to be in the NFC title game. They've been a fantastic football team, but they don't quite have the firepower to match up with the 49ers if the Niners' firepower is a firing. Now, it didn't fire quite like you wanted it to against the Packers, and whether the weather uh, and the rain had an awful lot to do with that, I, I see it being debated in chat rooms and all over the place. I do think it had a bit to do with it. Jared, or uh, um, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy in the rain is, is a different guy, at least to this point in his career. He is shown to be a different guy than when he's got the right conditions to play in. And when he's got the right conditions to play in, all the 49ers did this year was go out and accumulate the most efficient passing offense in all of football. I saw this from Seth Walder on the ESPN first look kind of preview at this matchup. He asks, what is the Lions' biggest weakness? It's defending the pass. And entering Sunday, the Lions ranked 30th in EPA allowed per opposing dropback. San Francisco's plethora... <laughs> Would you say I had a plethora if I didn't really have a plethora? San Francisco's plethora. You wouldn't tell me I had a plethora, would you, Larry, if I didn't have a plethora? <laughs> uh, of offensive playmakers, San Francisco's plethora of offensive playmakers is going to be a nightmare for Detroit. While the Lions' offense is also effective, they don't nearly have the same firepower. And Well, I, I don't know about the firepower part of it. I mean, you they have the best receiver. Um, the most unstoppable receiver. And they have a great receiving tight end. They have a running back that can really catch it out of the backfield, and they got a plow horse, and they've got a great line. So what they don't have is they don't have good corners, and I don't know if they can stop the Niners. The Niners have a, have a better defense, 
and the Niner defense is going to be able at times to stop Detroit. I don't know if Detroit's going to be able to stop the Niners. I mean, uh, Detroit's going to have to hit them hard and hope they the Niners cough up the football. I don't I don't know. I think the Niners should be able to slide the line towards Hutchinson, uh, negate what he brings, and pick on Cam Sutton all day. So I, way, I, don't mean, I don't mean to pick on Barry Ford, who is a member over on my channel in our chat right now, saying, Damon, great Russian accent. No, that was not supposed to be Russian. That was supposed to be uh, Mexican. Maybe with a little touch of Russian, because that's where El Wapo was getting his guns. But that is straight up El Wapo, Three Amigos. That's the plethora reference. So I don't want to confuse <laughs> anybody. Don't yeah, don't confuse people. But yeah, I I you know the the big question for me is, and you know, it's funny, Mike Silver's like, yeah, don't say the 49ers don't leak. Adam Schefter's reporting that Debo's 50-50. It's like, where do you get that? You know, I mean, he where do you get that little nugget? That came from somewhere, unless he pulled it out of the ether. But the Niners with and without Debo are a different kind of a presence. Oh, I mean, by the way, who isn't 50-50? I mean, come on. Like <laughs> to me, that's that's the most the chance of rain today, 50-50. Oh, so it either is or isn't. Who among who what niner is or isn't going to play in that game? Right? Like somebody can get hit. I, I just that's it's here's the deal. 50 Kyle speaks later today. We'll have more concrete data at 3:30 today. He has a presser this afternoon. Look, but the it, Niners average 7.1 yards per play with Debo on the field. During the regular season, that number fell to five, seven yards per play when he wasn't on the field. They're Look, not as good without Debo. It, it, if you're 50-50 on the Monday of championship week, you're fucking playing. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? He's going to go. He's going to go. Not playing this game. I, I, I would imagine he's going to go. Of course he's going. Of course he's going. How about this? Even if there were only a 30% chance he was playing, he's going. It's the title game. This is what the question is. How long is he going to be in the game before Chauncey Gardner Johnson's going to hit him hard on that shoulder? And then, and then, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see. But you know, that, that to me, this, this is going to be a absolute bloodbath. Shanahan has talked in the past about, you know, this is a this is a ice bag game. Well, guess what? This is a three ice bag game because this is the hardest hitting team in football outside of the Niners. Well, that's Niners a, and and the Lions will hit you hard. You know, I'm gonna get I'm gonna put the Ravens into that category. And boy, there's some there's some serious licks being thrown around by that Kansas City defense. The Kansas City defense is why they are where they are this year. Yeah, They're not their offense. It's really not Mahomes. That defense is nasty too. Uh, both championships games are going to be incredibly hard hitting. I can't really remember the soft hitting championship game of my lifetime. I didn't get the note on that. So, um, but, well, yeah, but not every team is as physical as this lions team. No, this no, lions team mirrors Dan Campbell and they're hard hitting. And then you see Dre Greenlaw, Dre Greenlaw is a monster hitter. Um, Fred Warner had huge hits. You know, that duo is a tremendous duo for the 49ers and they're kind of a tone setting duo. It's going to be it's going to be war as it should be, as it should be. There, there, nothing should be harder than an NFC Championship game to win, except for the game that comes after that, which is the Super Bowl. Which we all said Niners got to go there. They're sixty minutes away. I just think on on their own home field. 
which I don't even know. Here's the thing. We just watched a game where their own home field seemed to betray them more than it did the opponent because the Green Bay Packers understood the concept of it's slick out here. Let's wear some cleats. And the Niners felt a little lost on their own home field. So what are the conditions for Sunday? I mean, it's also it's totally ridiculous in Northern California to look for a weather report six days out. Everything around here can change so quickly. But uh, let's see. Let's what see. Is exactly. it, what is it going to look like? When it comes to, and then we have microclimates and all that garbage. Um, let's see, Sunday, 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 Sunday. It's going to be sunny. Fifty-two between fifty-two of a low and sixty-six high. Perfect weather. The field will be fine. Cloudy with sunshine. They're only the 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 rain this week is coming today. Eighty-five percent. Wednesday, eighty percent. Thursday's dry, Friday's dry, Saturday will be cloudy but dry, Sunday will be partly cloudy, partly sunny. The next rain is not due in until Wednesday. So it should be good. Should be good. That means it's a dry football for Brock Purdy, and that means the 49ers should go to the Super Bowl. I don't mean to make it. I do expect the Niners to bounce back. I do expect Purdy to bounce back. Yes. He he didn't look good in this game, you know, until that final drive. I'll say this though. You take away Kittle's drop on that final drive and on a night where he didn't look good and he seemed to be his feet seemed to be a little locked and his his um his accuracy, his ball placement seemed to be a little off. Uh he still found a way when the money was on the table to go seven for seven in the rain. Six for seven. No, no, but I mean, if Kittle doesn't drop that ball, he put it right on the hands. He right. basically goes seven for seven there. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy that played near perfection ball when it mattered. And in a lot of ways, Damon, that's very similar to the Cleveland game. Um, He didn't play great in the Cleveland game, especially in that second quarter. There were a couple of footballs that, you know, really were bad. Um, But, um, you know, one pass to Kittle where he Kittle turned inside. He threw it over his outside shoulder. So his accuracy was bothered by the wet ball. But, man, fourth quarter. Here comes Purdy to Debo, Purdy. I mean, Purdy to Ayuk, Purdy to Ayuk on multiple uh, passes, and he locked in and drove his team down the field. So I, I get the feeling that I think these are very even teams. I think this is going to be a hard-hitting game. But what's going to be the difference? I think Brock Purdy is going to make plays against the Lions' pass defense in the fourth quarter, and I think Jared Goff is going to get denied by the Niner. Niner pass defense in the fourth quarter. It's got to be a day for this defensive line to reestablish itself. It's just that simple. And it's, it's a tough offensive line to do it against, but rag now again, a little bit banged up. Maybe there's something to be taken advantage of there. Maybe you get Kinlaw and Hargrave to double lean on him and you twist around something. I don't know. Chris Kasurik. You know, I, 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 you were called out in my chat this week, Chris Kasurik. I don't know how much, you had to do with a lack of production from that defensive line, but if it was your fault, can't be your fault again this week. The Niners' secondary will all of a sudden look a whole lot better if this defensive line does what we know it can do. And it's got, it's just, I mean, that's the thing. There is no excuse here. This is not a dress rehearsal. You don't get a second shot at this at another point in time down the season. Here it is. That's the beauty of playoff football. One bad quarter means your day is, your whole season is done. Um, God, and, and, and the lions may be without their starting left guard. We'll find out. Jonah Jackson went down in this game. He's a third round pick. 
They may have to go with their backup guard, which is a guy named Coyote Awasika. Nice job um, on that, by the way. You stuck the landing. Thank you. Uh, he was 6'3", 315-pound player, played at Buffalo, but he's a young player. He hasn't played a lot, um, and he's going to get Hargrave and Armstead inside. So get ready for, uh, you know, buckle your chin, chin strap and get ready. So that that's that that could be advantage 49ers. You know, if Ragnow's not 100%, if Jonah Jackson doesn't go, uh, maybe the Niners have an advantage in the interior. And and if you you know if you want to bother Jared Goff, get pressure in his face. You know, as you said Damon, he doesn't like to run. The guys had one one game this year, I think one run all year over 10 yards. He's not going to run. He's 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 back there. He's going to throw it away. Or he's going to throw it. He's not going to, you know, he's going to take a sack. He's not going to run. He does not run. Running is not part of his game. As we said earlier, there isn't an awful lot of Lions playoff history to go through. But two postseason appearances from the Lions that they've ever had against the 49ers are very memorable postseason games. Now, I don't know how memorable the first one is for anyone in this chat right now because that happened in 1957. But the reason reason why you might have heard about that game is because it is identified as maybe the greatest moment in the last 60 years, like for the Detroit Lions. And it's even longer than 60 years ago now that, I mean, that's like what you used to say 20 years ago. They're like the greatest moment in 60 So the Lions beat the 49ers 31-27 in 1957 at Kizar, erasing a 20-point third-quarter deficit. As a matter of fact, I believe that was the playoff game that the historic Frank Reich-led Buffalo Bills comeback against the Houston Oilers trumped, right? Like the, the Lions had the biggest comeback in playoff history, and then it was Frank Reich and the Bills against the Houston Oilers and Warren Moon, it, it, you know, it coming back from even further behind to win a playoff game. Then the other Larry should still be fresh in your mind because you were being bounced on your daddy's knee at Candlestick. And this is right in the middle of the dynastic moments of the building of Bill Walsh and Joe Montana's empire. 49ers 24, Lions 23 in 1983. The NFL even ranked it as one of the five best divisional round games of the 20th century. And on a day where backup Lions quarterback Gary Danielson, who is like the announcer on college football, Gary Danielson. Yeah. um, Gary Danielson. Had five interceptions, but he was the backup quarterback. So Gary was staying in the goddamn game. <laughs> like, like, if you think Gary's bad, wait and you see who our emergency quarterback is. If our backup's throwing five picks, we're staying with them. That means they had no other option. So Gary Danielson throws five interceptions, but he still drove the Lions into field goal range at the very end of the game. And Eddie Murray missed a game winning field goal. And Montana despite not having Dwight Clark in that game, went six for six on the ensuing drive and had a 14-yard pass to Freddie Solomon over the middle with 123 left. 49ers win because of that drive, and Eddie Murray misses a huge field goal. 
And there you go. Is there something about playoffs? Niners go on to RFK and lose to the uh, to the to the Skins in the That's NFC right. Championship game, a game that had bad calls and fueled the whole 84 uh 15 and 1 season. Yeah, I mean it was that was uh you know the Niners won it all in 81, 82 was the strike year, 83 they they could have won it all, lost that NFC Championship game, 84 they made no no doubt that they were going to win it all. Right. And they it lost was once all year. And then I mean the, the, there would have been more Super Bowls right there, but then two of the single greatest NFC defensive football teams of all time just happened to be waiting for them in 1985 and in 1986. 85 was the Bears. 86 was the Lawrence Taylor is blowing lines off of hookers' butts. You know, I mean, just... just The Niners out. lost both years to the Giants. Yeah. Lawrence 85-17-3, I think. 86-49-3, uh, whatever it was. Maybe I'm confusing those two, but... It was one was 17 three. The other was like 49 three. Joe Montana got knocked out by Jim Burt. Um, yeah. 85, 85 was the year of the bear. I mean, that's, that's the thing. People talk about the NFL right now. They hate the greatest run in the NFL. 84 Niners, 85 bears, 86 giants, 87 Redskins, 88 Niners, 89 Niners. And then you know, it's right to the triplets. I mean, that's right. The, the, those were all those teams, I think, would beat almost any team of this era. So, all those teams. Larry, is is this because nostalgia is a powerful drug and everything when you're a kid or a teenager is bigger around you when you're adult? Like, have you ever gone back and visited your high school and you can't help but notice, geez, did all these hallways shrink or did I get bigger? Like, everything feels so much bigger when you're a kid, right? Is I don't it, think so. It, well, I mean, I mean, I know what you're saying totally, but I don't, I don't think, think so, either. man. I don't think it is either. And there was literally a rule book that existed back in those days where manly men got to dictate how a football game was played. I mean, all, all, all the offenses the- went backwards against the 85 Bears. Right. They, they went backwards. And the 86 Giants... You know, you're talking about LT, but Carl Banks, Pepper Johnson, Gary Reasons, Leonard. I mean, just awesome players all throughout. Phil, you know, Phil Sims. I mean, they, you know, they were, it was a really good, the 86 Giants were really, really good. 87 Redskins were really, really good. And the Niners in the late 80s, you know, potentially could have won three in a row. What that was Montana at his apex with Rice. So I really think that in that early Early nine or early eighties, mid eighties into the nineties, what you had was everybody in the NFL at that point in time was playing a level of caveman football. I mean, it was club somebody and eat by an open fire. I mean, it was just serious, nasty fucking football where um, you know, there were nor- normal hits that would never draw a flag today would get you arrested. Like they would ha- they would literally come out and arrest somebody right off a football field in modern football for some of the hits that didn't even draw flags back in the day. And then what you had, especially with the Niners and Bill Walsh was the marriage of that caveman football to true offensive skill and real, real, real talent. And then these teams stayed together and you had continuity. So the, the 49ers that you were facing in 1984 
with basically the same group of guys from 1981, you know, and there were just that you're right. There was continuity. Also, it was the era of the thumper safety. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the Vikings had Joey Browner. The Niners had Ronnie Lott. The Broncos had Steve Atwater. The Bears had Dave Dewerson. I mean, you everybody had that guy, Gary Fensick. Gary everybody Fensick. had that that monster hitter at safety. Now the safety position has evolved where if you can't cover, you can't play. You want to know who one of my favorites was? John Lynch. Oh, John, how about, John Chuck, Lynch, how about Chuck Cecil? Chuck, Chuck Cecil. Cecil. And, and my maybe my single favorite safety of all time was Steve Atwater. I'll tell you, mine was Ronnie, but but you know who was absolutely devastating? David Fulcher. Oh, yeah. Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, yeah. David Fulcher was 235 pounds and hit like a truck. Hit like a truck. I'll give you another one. Jeff Fuller. Jeff Fuller, Niner, you know, he, he played on the same team with Ronnie, but Jeff Fuller, thumper, thumper. By the way, Al Kohal says Tim McDonald wasn't bad, certainly. T-Mac, yeah, Merton so Hanks. They, Merton, but look, Merton Hanks was from a different era. We're talking like well, early 80s. Well, they played together. They played together. I mean, Tim T-Mac and Hanks played together, okay. but Hanks was the free safety and McDonald was the box safety. Um, you know, the Smitty says Brian Dawkins. Yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of hitters. You had thumpers, Rodney Harrison, Jesse Tuggle, G Rod dropping it. Jesse, I haven't thought well, he was a linebacker. Tuggle. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sean Tuggle Taylor, Dwight Hicks, and the Hot Licks. Heck, the Niners in '90 or in '89 had Chet Brooks, who had knee problems, but he was another great hitter. Bob Sanders. Yeah, I mean, there was it was a the safety position was a hitter position, even as recently as. Goldson and Whitner. I mean, those guys were nasty. Um, oh, now it's a cover game. Now yeah. it's now it's it's you know everybody guys who played corner can play safety. But you saw this weekend when you play a corner like Logan Ryan at safety, he comes up and and is there in position to hit Aaron Jones, and Aaron Jones runs right by him. Nothing changed what you needed to be as a safety in football, as much as the evolution of the tight end itself, the tight end changed how the safeties need to go about playing because tight ends were like the big target, the safety blanket in the middle of the field. It was, you know, there to, to be more Mark Bavaro against Ronnie, right. To be anything more than like a possession tight end. Like there wasn't anything more than a possession, right. Tight end. Like you had Mark Bavaro able to, shed some dudes off of him as he lumbered down the field but there wasn't you know there wasn't a vernon there wasn't a brevin jordan right there you know there was nobody who was going 85 yards for the most part there was no they were, Kittle. there was yeah. no matt laporta nobody uh, nobody's running four or five i mean you had a no. couple freaks uh johnny mitchell um you know feral edmonds you know, there, there were some big, you know, I mean, I mean, but there were some receivers that almost were like tight ends back right. then. Harold Carmichael. Remember Harold Carmichael is like six, eight wide receiver. Kellen Winslow was the movement receiver or movement tight end of his day for air Coriel. Yeah, no doubt. And then I the Niners that, had guys, I mean, Brent Jones to master. Know, and then Dallas had a guy, Jay Novacek, you know, I mean, um, 
but basically the tight end was a was much more of a plotter. Right. Cat and you, and, right. And you could destroy the tight end and you still can. And that's the thing. That's why this game is going to be not for the meek because Ertz, I mean, uh, because uh, Kittle's going to get hit. Ayuk's going to get hit. Kirby Joseph is out there ending guys' careers. Chauncey Gardner Johnson plays for blood. I mean, he's just, he is in it to just destroy, seek and destroy. So the Niner offensive players, we're going to see, it's not going to be about who starts this game. It's going to be about who's there in the fourth quarter to finish it. Because this thing is going good. There's good, good, you know, it's good for the, for the Niners that there's two weeks off between the NFC championship game and the Super Bowl, because this will be the hardest hitting game of the year. Niners Zach Ertz has signed today with the Detroit Lions, so he gets to learn a playbook this week and goes out there to contribute. What level of game making difference we'll we'll all find out together. But add another branch of interesting to an already not just on paper but on a football field very interesting football game. These teams, uh, again, are are led by two men who don't have much in common other than the fact they've proven themselves in a very short time to be exemplary NFL head coaches, even though they go about their business in a very different way. I mean, Kyle is ultra cerebral. He's an explainer. Dan Campbell is much more emotional. He's looking to stoke a fire more than it feels like Shanahan stokes a level of intellectual buy-in where Campbell is stoking the fire of emotional buy-in. And to be an emotional buy-in professional coach, I think is a really hard place to be operating from because most of these guys, they ain't here for the rah-rah cheerleader nonsense. Unless they are convinced you are making them better with the way you go about coaching a team, you don't have buy-in. So Campbell, in his very unique style, has total buy-in the same way in an opposite and very unique style Kyle Shanahan is total buy-in from his football team. There is no dissent. There's no dissenting voice coming from either locker room. I mean, you're not going to get a lot of dissenting voices from many 12 and five locker rooms, right? You know, but it's a, it's a fascinating matchup. It's a fascinating matchup. And it's given us, given us an awful lot of interesting stuff to talk about all week long. Uh, It's great to have you here on wake up, Larry. I think you and I, as if the 49ers get past the NFC title game, wake up might be getting more and more aggressive and appearing more than just on Mondays and Fridays. So that's something that Larry and I have a lunch meeting tomorrow and we are going to plan what the hell's going on coming for the Super Bowl. Uh, and hopefully the 49ers do indeed get there because we got a lot planned if this team does reach the Super Bowl. Um, please hit like, please hit subscribe. Memberships available on both channels. You want to come out and support us. It's a wonderful way to do it. But again, just hitting like, just hitting subscribe means an awful lot. Larry, we've got a whole bunch of chats starred, which means the super chats are coming in. I saw somebody saying, you know, if I offer up a super chat early in the show, I don't really have two hours all the time to watch it. Could you guys get to them a little bit earlier in the show? So here we go. Let's do it. Here we go. Let's do it right here. Here we go. Glock Holiday. What is it about Brock Purdy that sports pundits love to hate? I've heard nothing but Jordan Love praise, despite his stats being worse than Brock. It's fashionable. It's a great way to receive attention. He was also, here's the thing. 
Half the sports pundits, remember this. This is so important to remember as you're watching sports punditry on TV. They're being told what to say. And they're also being told what to expect. And no one told them to expect Brock Purdy to be better than you think he was going to be. And since there's not a lot of independent thought until they're told it's time to respect Brock Purdy, they won't. Well, it's the same reason that, you know, the 49ers are such a popular team. The Niners travel. Why? Because they're an iconic brand. You know, you could probably make an argument of the four teams left. The 49ers have the biggest fan base. It's bigger, even a bigger than Kansas player. City, bigger than Baltimore, bigger than Detroit. The Niners have fans all over the globe. Why? Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Steve Young, Ronnie Lott, decade. You know, there's Niners fans. There's NFL fans of the 80s, NFL fans of the 90s. There's the Niners have given you, I mean, the natural football fan, especially if you're have no allegiance, you're not regionally tied to a team. You want to bet a team. I mean, I was a, you know, as a as a little boy, I was a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Why? Because they were in the playoffs every year. And I my team wasn't. So I mean, I I would, you know, and there were tons of fans of the Dallas Cowboys. You know, when we used to play football in the at recess, it was if nobody wanted to be Steve DeBerg. <laughs> Everybody wanted to be Roger Staubach or Terry Bradshaw or Fran Tarkenton. You know, I'm going to run around like Fran Tarkenton. So um, that's the way it is. So the right, Niners have a, that's, how, that's how old Larry is, everybody. He's yeah. Fran Tarkenton level old. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, well, Fran Tarkenton used to run around. So yeah. like when people would run around, do figure eights, it would be like, hey, man, I'm Fran Tarkenton. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, it was it was Terry Bradshaw and Roger Staubach, you know, and those were and the Cowboys and the Steelers. So those are iconic brands. And the Niners have the biggest fan base. So going at a 49er is um, a 49er quarterback is a great way to get clicks and a great way to get attention and a great way to get um, whatever traction with the audience. Look, the the 49ers and this isn't this isn't biased because it's a team that, that I that I cover or a city that I live in now. I think the 49ers are one of the five biggest brands in American sports. You know, it, Cowboys truly are a unique place to be operating from. It's, it's Cowboys, Yankees, Lakers, Niners, and then a huge debate can be had for who fits that fifth column of just, you know, massive, massive interest. I'll say this. First time I'm ever in Europe, Jillian and I, we start in Amsterdam, and then we get to Paris. We take a train into Paris, and before I even left the train station in Paris, I see a Joe Montana jersey. I'm like, Jillian, they follow me everywhere I go. Look at this. They're, 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 look at the 49. We're in Paris. The most fashion-forward, everybody, like, putting on a, a, a beautiful... I mean, no, no one's walking around in jeans and T-shirts except sloppy American tourists in Paris, right? It is a very, very well-dressed country. Niners jersey right there right there hey look at when the Niners played the Cardinals in Mexico City the the crowd was like 90 percent 49er fans yeah the fact that the league made the Cardinals the home team was just a such a slap in the face to the Cardinals 
yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have you guys be the home team in a game where ninety percent of the fans are gonna be rooting hard against you. Oh yeah, and by the way, since you're in the division with the Niners, that's your home game. You're gonna play at their stadium in Santa Clara for their home game. So I mean, it's like Cardinals just got got uh, got the you know they got screwed there. Um, we got this one from Cryptic. He says, "I know it doesn't compare, but this matchup has a feeling of Harbaugh versus Carroll playoff game. Defenses are not nowhere close, but physicality will be there. The cornerback wide receiver hating is there. Detroit is not scared. Oh no, Detroit is not scared. Um, they're they're going to be hard hitting. But guess what? The Niners are going to be pretty hard hitting as well." You know, I, I think there might have been an element of the Packers, you know, felt like they're ahead of schedule. The the Lions in their in their own locker room believe they're on schedule. They thought that they were going to have this year. I didn't. They did. Yeah. And they were right until, you know, they lost Mosley. And now, you know, the, 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 the Lions corners are not great. And, and every team left should be able to throw the ball on the Lions. Um, but. The Lions also, you know, are going to play some ball control, and they've got really good weapons and a terrific line, and Jared Goff playing well. But um, hopefully the Niner defense can take him out of rhythm. Words of Wisdom says, make T-shirts that say, play like someone slapped your mama. <laughs> Need that Charles Haley locker room player who's going to make sure we play up to standards. Is that a direct Charles Haley quote? I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but it should be. Mike Baker says, why Kyle not using the best weapons at a crit at critical times? Why is Kyle not using the, um, who's he not using? I mean, well, the one, I, I, I mean, no, I, you, I mean, I would imagine green Bay tried to take Iuke away. I mean, um, but I mean, Iuke's got to touch the ball more than three times, especially in this game against these lions corners and with Debo not being a hundred percent. This has got to be a hundred yard day for, for Brandon Ayuk. Got to get him a hundred yards and don't abandon the running game. It doesn't have to be a force feeding of Christian McCaffrey. As a matter of fact, I'd like to see Elijah Mitchell and Mason involved. And I think as Kyle sits around thinking, what can I do differently this week as opposed to last week? I hope he realizes, you know, I should stick with what got me here and what got me here is running the football. So I, 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 even though what also got the Niners here is an incredibly efficient passing game, maybe the most efficient in the NFL. And I think that Kyle needs to understand that even though he's got that, he shouldn't ignore the other thing that he's got. And he, he, he knows it again. They, they don't go 12 and five. If he doesn't know that, I just think he, he got a lines are good against the run three, seven, a carry, but their linebackers are not great in coverage. So to me, the game plan is real simple as far as going against uh, Aiden Hutchinson. Make him beat two guys. You know, let him go one-on-one -on -one with the tackle and then just have a guy sitting there waiting for him if he wins. So, you know, you, you don't combo block him and let him, let him split it. You let McKivitz or Trent go at him one-on-one, -on -one, and then you uh, have a guy sitting there off the shoulder and when Hutchinson's, I mean, when a guy's got eight sacks in the last four games and he's on a line with, with, you know, three other guys that are just okay, you don't let him pile up sack number nine and sack number 10 and sack number 11. You neutralize him and you slide the protection in his direction and you make him beat double teams 
and you chip him and you hit him and you, you know, you take him out of the game as much as you possibly can. Um, and, uh, you know, two years from now, you're not going to be able to do that because they're going to have more personnel around him. Right now, you can. So don't let Aiden Hutchinson ruin your day because he's he is far and away. It would be like if you had Bosa and nothing. Um, the, I'm, I'm not saying that Aleem, you know, Aleem McNeil's no good because he's pretty good, and Pascal was decent at Kentucky. It's not like these guys are total total scrub, scrubs, but there's not. It's it's a it's a one man wrecking crew up front. Don't let him. Don't let that one man wreck shop. Uh, Keena Turner and Hooch says, let's give the Lions and that old hardball handshake like Jim Schwartz in 2011. Cal alum and SF native here. So all the best to golf, but go Niners on Sunday. Isn't it amazing how many quarterbacks who, you know, have, have, have come from Northern California? It's like, uh, it's like Western Pennsylvania. It's become the cradle of quarterbacks. And, you know, I wonder how much of that has to do with these guys grew up watching Joe and Steve. I just, you know, Tom Brady grew up watching Joe. Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers had a Joe Montana T-shirt under his pads when he was at Cal. Um, Jared Goff, you know, grew up watching Steve Young. I, I got to think that has a lot to do with it. Really do. Yeah, I mean, it's sure. I mean, there, there's no doubt that that has a lot to do with it, but I do think that you've got, you know, a little bit of a, a, a climate that allows for a passing attack to be developed here. You know, it, it's it's usually all football season long. You're not dealing with a level of elements like you are in the Northeast. Like if you, if you want to run a high school pass-heavy offense in upstate New York, General Winter is going to kick your ass. Yeah, you know, but I mean, let's see. Let's look where the mo the the greatest football amateur talent comes out of the state of Texas and Florida. Right. Well, again, Florida, yet, Northern California has produced the best quarterbacks in the last, like you know, and many of the of the top guys. I mean, you know, just the guys that we've named, and there's others. Um, but you know, when you think of, you would think they would all come from Florida or Texas. But no, it's it's NorCal. Uh, Ricky Williams, can we please keep Brandon Ayuk? I don't think he's going anywhere. I think they're going to pay him handsomely. Greg Argisi. If you do keep Brandon Ayuk and you are going to keep Brandon Ayuk, that means Juwan Jennings has two games left with the Niners. Yeah, most likely. Most likely. I think you're right. I th and I said it at the beginning of the year that this would be, this would be uh, JJ's final year with the Niners because – you can't pay everybody, right? And you've already paid Debo, and you want to pay Brandon Ayuk, so you're not going to pay that third guy. Um, but will JJ get to have a burgeoning market, or will you know? You never know. You never know what the marketplace Juwan is. Like. Is the player that a team trying to get better overpays and then finds a level of, oh, he might be a little overpaid in Juwan Jennings, right? I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I kind of think that Juwan Jennings is a guy that could be huge in this game and then could be a Detroit Lion next year. Because in a lot of ways, Juwan Jennings is exactly the kind of receiver the Lions 
need to complement what they've got. They've got the burner in Jamison Williams. They've got the guy in Amon Ra, who's the true number one. They need that gritty, tough blocker badass. And that's JJ. And if he plays big in this game, I could see Brad Holmes and, and Dan Campbell saying, bring him here. I really could. Um, Greg Argisi. Wow. You guys need to relax. Packers were the hottest team, rust and rain. Now the Niners will shine. Liner cor- uh, Lions cornerbacks are trash. Niners will show why they are great. Relax. Yeah, definitely. When you're heading into an, a championship game, you want relax to be the theme. Just relax, everybody. This NFC title game is going to be a sunny day, a nice little walk in the park. Here's a nice cocktail. We'll put a little umbrella in that for you. Maybe even serve it in a coconut. Pull out some long chairs. This is going to be easy. Yeah. Fucking Lions, man. Don't even worry about it. That's a, that's a great way to go into a championship game. <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's easy to say relax. If we had a relaxed show where it was just like, hey, Niners by three touchdowns. No, man. Niners by four touchdowns. Come no, on. Larry, Larry. Hey, how, Greg, last I'm week, I'd love to see your chats last week. I bet you you were the guy last week saying, man, the Niners are going to roll the Packers. They're going to absolutely roll the Packers. They're going to they're obliterate the Packers. Niners 35, Packers 2. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were an awful lot of people calling for the blowout last week. All right? But I wasn't one of them, and Damon wasn't either. So you may want to just heed our advice. Nancy Adams says, I sure hope you're right, and the Niners go to the Super Bowl. Nancy coming in with a 20 spot. Thank you very much for putting a twin on it. Thank Look you. Look at that. And a picture. She's got a picture there. Nice little avatar. Yeah, a little avatar. Andre Thompson has become a YouTube member. There you go. There you go. Uh, we got this one. Javi Della Torre gifted one the Krug Show membership. Look at that. Look at that. Memberships available. Love it. Appreciate you guys. Love it. For the Todd cost of a cup of coffee. Todd Mickle. Todd Mickle. Larry, I'm no expert. Is there an option to just double Laporta on every snap and just take him away completely? Or does that create more problems? If all they had was Sam Laporta, yeah, you could literally, um, you know, bracket him. You know, everywhere he went, there was somebody in front of him and behind him. But I think the Niners don't need to do that. They've got the best coverage backer in the game. In the game right now. Fred Warner is a cutting edge player. Um, he's a he's a linebacker who played a rover position at BYU, pseudo linebacker, pseudo safety. He's ideally suited to cover Laporta. This is going to be Laporta's toughest day all year, trying to free himself up against uh, against Fred Warner. So. Um, you know, Laporta suffered a pretty serious injury in week 18, but he is playing hurt. Now they've got Ertz. Um, you know, I, you know, Sam Laporta is a terrific receiver. I, I, I personally think that, you know, they're both Iowa tight ends. I think Kittle is a better run blocker than Laporta, but I'll say it. I think Laporta is a better receiver than Kittle. I mean, at this point in their careers, sure, right? You know, I mean, it's it's this kid's rookie season. Um, or is it his second year? 
No, it's his rookie year. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I, look, there are two or three guys who might be better pass catchers than Kittle, who still went over a thousand yards this year, by the way. But um, there is no more all-around complete tight end than George Kittle. Like, George Kittle is the prototype for the position, every element of the position. Kelsey might be a better receiver. Laporta might be a better receiver. But, I mean, K- Kittle is Kittle's special, and I think Kittle's got to have a, a, a huge role in every down that the 49ers play offensively going forward between now and any snaps that they actually play in Las Vegas. By the way, the Lions are here this year, largely on the on the tail of their on the on the strength of their rookie, uh, rookie class. Sam Laporta, rookie tight end, terrific player. Jameer Gibbs, rookie running back, terrific player. Uh, Laporta was round two. Gibbs was round one. Jack Campbell, terrific strong side backer. And Brian uh, Branch, first round pick, and then Brian Branch, um, second round pick, maybe. Maybe the best nickelback going right now. I mean, he Brian Branch was great at Bama, and he's he's equally great today. Uh, you know, he is fantastic. Um, Joseph Ernberg, that drive before half drove me crazy. Really, I, I, well, the rest of us were cool with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a train wreck. I mean, I mean, and and you know, here's the thing: be a good Niner fan and back Kyle Shanahan, but don't blindly bow to him that was you know he's he was trying to do too many things there he was trying to keep the ball away from his opponent he was trying to score and they wasted 45 seconds ran out of time and asked their rookie kicker in the rain to make a long field goal you know i mean it's like they had to get at least minimum the fact that they even were playing for the field goal there bothered me. In um, in the pursuit of perfection, Kyle let pretty good pass him by. And, and that can't happen. You know, uh, like I said, somebody needs to go up to Kyle and say, do you realize that you don't get any extra bonus points if you score exactly when the clock is hitting triple digits? And you, you have a defense that is, A, good enough to not give up 80 yards in 20 seconds should you leave the other team 20 seconds. Also, you have an offense that is finally built to be dangerous enough to go, 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 be aggressive, stay aggressive. None of this like, yeah, you know, if we get a field goal here, we come out, we score a touchdown in the third quarter. That's 10 point difference right there. Well, a touchdown here and a touchdown. There's a 14 point difference. So go, 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 go. You got, you want more, you want more possessions. You would think. Yes. And, and by the way, it doesn't always work out as your three and out coming out of the locker room showed. You know, I mean, you didn't do anything with that possession coming out of the locker room. So, um, you know, it's not like you're, it's for sure. I mean, it's the way he, it's his comfort zone. That's where he's comfortable. That's fine. That's fine. My whole thing on the, who do you defer or do you take the ball comes down to one factor and one factor only. Does your offense going against the opposing defense, is that a bigger advantage or is your defense going against the opposing offense? Is that the bigger advantage? And I just felt like the Niners offense going against the Packers defense was their bigger advantage, at least on paper. 
and I would have wanted to take the ball first. Who uh, on this coach? Oh, I'm sorry, Larry. No, no, I was just going to say that's all. That's to me, and I, I mean, I get it though. He likes the. I, I mean, I asked him about it directly, and I, I asked him to follow up and explain it. He explained it. Um, it's it, he's comfortable with it, and he he feels like that's an ability to lap your opponent, and he's going to go with it, and he's not going to bend. And I, you know, it's kind of like playing 21, you know, in in Vegas. You you gotta you gotta play the game by some rules that you carve out in your head before you sit down. You just can't just be wildly hitting here and there. You have to have some philosophy that's grounded in solid reasoning. He feel like he feels like he does, and that is to defer, and that's what he's going to do. Hey, so, I'm good with it. I'm good with. I'm totally good with the deferring. I, I I think getting the ball to start the second half is a is a great place to be operating from. I set my games of Madden up to automatically defer should I win the coin toss. I'm, Do you? I'm just, I'm, yes, I'm the same guy. I'm the same guy. Get that defense out there. Set the tone for the day. Um, uh, my question and, that, and, the Niners, and part of his philosophy, I'm sure, is tied to the fact that the 49ers, under his regime, have wanted to have a dominant. They've poured all their cap dollars into their D-line. Not their O-line, their D-line. So their defense has been the kind of the lead dog. And so they like starting games with their defense because they feel like their defense will get them the ball and then they've got it coming back. So I get it. But when your defense, you know, doesn't stop you. I mean, when the Niners offense hit the field for the very first time, they were in a hole. It was only three, nothing, but they were in a hole. Again, I, I don't I don't look at that as a whole until you've touched the ball at least once first, right? Like I I wasn't really worried about the three nothing start. As a matter of fact, three nothing's better than seven nothing. I thought it was a good start, all things considered. Yeah. How quickly they, they had, had to come up with some they had to come up with a red zone stop by by Mooney uh to get to that three nothing. Could have before, been seven nothing. Before we keep on going back to the chats, I just gotta ask one question. Who on the Niners is comfortable? If any, I'm talking greasy. Anybody on the staff, a player, is there anyone who can, in the moment of Kyle kind of being Kyle, just go, come on, man, let's go. Let's get a little up-tempo. Let's go. Is there anyone who snaps their fingers at Kyle? Is there anyone? Probably not. Maybe and Brock. I think, I think that Kyle could benefit from somebody just in his ear that he respects going, come the fuck on, man. Come on. They use oh. tempo at times when they first got there, but they're they're not big proponents of tempo. They're not. I you know, and I don't know that I I don't know that I would change what I do at this juncture. You know, that's more of an off season thing. But it would be nice when you have five eligibles that are as dangerous as the Niners are, and you have a quarterback that um, you know, can really he can really process what he sees quickly. Um, it would be nice to go up tempo. It, it can't be explained away in any way that I'm going to buy it. Like I'm going to buy an awful lot of what Kyle says. And there's no doubt that he knows more about football. His fingernails know more about football than I could ever pretend to know over the course of a two hour show. I get it. I get it. But if he's seriously like, yeah, you know, up tempo is something that we used to do. We don't do that anymore. That's absurd. That's absurd. We're not really, we don't do, we don't, we don't, we don't go no huddle. What the fuck? You don't go no huddle. What? Are you, what? what are you talking about? What are you, what are you talking about? 
That's like a that's like a that's like a baseball team saying, you know what? We don't hit home runs. Yeah. Well, wait a second. We, I I think I know that team. Well, yeah. And how are they doing? But that's the thing. <laughs> it, 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 I, I I I like the whole point of like we don't embrace up temple football is it's inexplicable to me. Like, what are you what are you talking about? I mean, seriously. I mean, up tempo is a way to change the vibe of a game. It's also I mean, Don Shula and the and the Dolphins went up tempo on the '84 Niners, who had an awesome defense, awesome. Um, and the only success they had was up tempo in that day. And what I game. don't understand is when Kyle's got a defense on the field where he's thinking, "Ooh, I'm, I, all I see is hot supper everywhere. We got matchups. We got we got the matchups that we're going to take advantage of out here on this field right now. Why would you allow the other team to just substitute?" The best way to prevent a team aggressively substituting packages and packages against you is to, and and I just, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe you don't want to do this with Jimmy Garoppolo because he's that incomplete of a quarterback and you're not comfortable with him making decisions. I thought Brock Purdy was the antidote to that. I thought he was the difference maker. So. Well, and maybe he'll surprise, you know, I mean, maybe he, you know, it's not like he's never used up tempo. He just hasn't used it recently. Like, what's the thing um, that you said last week that I thought that's just stupid. he said he said that he went up tempo early in his his tenure here. No, but you also said something about special teams like Kyle doesn't believe uh, in fake punts. Oh, he's, he's never fake punted. I mean, he, well, he may have done it one time. Right. But it was called back uh, after Wisnowski had the greatest run of his life there. It's too bad. But um, this whole I don't believe in. And trying to trick your opponent. I, I don't believe. Okay. Well, well, that's ridiculous because camouflaging and tricking your opponent is a massive part of every single offensive play that the man runs. So he clearly believes in tricking his opponent to some level, but to a degree, he doesn't believe in tricking his opponent on special teams. That's nonsense. Like that. What do you, what the fuck are you? Even it does seem about? a tad inconsistent. But I think I, I, it, it seems inconsistent. Yeah, so because, the element of surprise is something you don't believe in? Well, exactly. I mean, no, I mean, and, and, and come on. We're talking about a guy whose basic, you know, basic tenet of what he does offensively is tied to play action. The whole idea of play action is fooling your opponent. Greg Cosell used to talk endlessly about the greatness of, of Kyle Shanahan's play action fusion game. And what he's talking about there is that Kyle can make a play action pass look so much like a run that it really does fool the defense and and make the linebackers freeze and thus creates a ton of space in the pass game. You're fooling them there. By the way, and Jay Frank Parnell has just commented, I think something that is just, I mean, the light bulb in my mind, Maybe the reason why Kyle's 0-30 when behind is because he's never developed a two-minute offense. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Like, you do have to start playing faster and not at your own pace when you are I mean, behind. And maybe because you don't play faster at a faster pace, it's harder to catch up to the guy who's running away from you. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Are you going to be good at something that you practice? Yes. Are you going to be better? at things that you practice. Yes. So if the Niners went up tempo on a regular basis, I think you could say that they would be 
uh, more natural and more comfortable playing up-tempo football. If you don't play up-tempo football ever, how do you ever get into an up-tempo rhythm? And ultimately, there's there's times in the game where you can decide, and there's times of the game where the de- defense will dictate to you. Right. And when you're down two touchdowns or multiple scores in the fourth quarter, basically the dic- the, the defense is going to start to dictate to you a little bit. And then you're going to have to play up tempo. So would you, would you, so there's, it's not like you can, uh, you know, carve out a world where you're never going to need to play up tempo. Occasionally you're going to have to speed it up. And then how good are you in that, in that window? How good are you speeding it up? So, yeah, I, I, I personally would love to see them and they have the quarterback and the weapons and the play caller to speed it up and to put a ton of pressure on their, uh, on their opponents. So uh, that's another reason. If you, if you didn't have the if you didn't have the weapons, if you didn't have the quarterback, if you didn't have the play caller, I get it. But you have all those things. So I I I'd, I'd work in tempo. I absolutely would. At least and, once uh, a game. W- would you ever want to watch the show that just said, you know, we'll t- we'll talk about defense, but we we don't talk offense here. We don't talk offense. <laughs> you know, it's just it's absurd. What why would you eliminate a gear that everyone else on planet football not only has, but embraces at times. I just, I don't understand it. I, well, I and, and, and here's the thing too. There's a lot of people that, you know, and I get it, you know, it's like Kyle. Sh- do you believe in Kyle Shanahan? I do. You do. I think almost all football people do, right, but, but he it does. doesn't, but it doesn't mean, I mean, he's, he, we're all wearing the same number of Super Bowl rings. You know, and if you want to call that a keep a cheap shot, call it a call it whatever you want. But it's too easy to be like, well, he knows more football than you. I love these guys who think they know more football than Kyle Shanahan. It's not that we're having an open open discussion about philosophy and and different tactics to to winning a game. It's not rocket science. It's not like you know, it's 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 um, so complex that nobody could possibly ever discuss it. Of course, um, Kyle Shanahan knows more than us, but he might not know as much as he thinks he knows if he doesn't know that a change of pace is a good thing in all sports. There's no such thing as this change of pace at the right moment in this sport hurt the team that did it. <laughs> it just doesn't have, it's, you know, Chris Paul is being brought in to change the pace of the Warriors and slow things down because no team trips over its own dick as much as the Golden State Warriors do. Or we're going to go ahead and look at the way that baseball with its new like rules and how many times you can throw over to first. We're going to go ahead and acknowledge that the pace of Major League Baseball is changing from station to station, wait around from a home run to a more base to base get aggressive on the base paths, hit and runs, use some speed. And if you don't adjust to that tempo, you're going to fall behind the times, San Francisco Giants. Uh, the, the whole, like, we don't, you know, we don't go up tempo. Uh-uh. And Patel, Jim Tomsula also knows more than us. LOL. Richie, yes, Co- think of the worst coach you can think of. Richie Kotite knows more than us. They um, literally speak at a language that if we sat down to speak it with them, we wouldn't understand it. Greg and Brandy Geisler says, Larry, you have a different perspective. You're in the locker room and at practice. None of us have that. So it's kind of silly to second guess on something we don't know. We're not second guessing. 
we're just having an open discussion about different philosophies. And, and I mean, it's not like we're just saying, you know, I mean, Chip Kelly, you know, went up tempo all the time. And I can honestly tell you from, from watching Chip Kelly's offense, there was nothing. He was often described as innovative, the innovative Chip Kelly. He ran bad plays at a fast pace. That's all it was. It was that all he was, was tempo. I mean, the, the play calling was totally marginal, um, but, but the tempo was considered, you know, cutting edge. Look, tempo can dominate collegiately because you got a whole bunch of 18 year olds getting, you know, caught up in moments. And now you have an advantage. It's harder to, it's hard to trick anyone at the professional level. And I just look, I, I think that Kyle Shanahan is nothing short of probably the most qualified person in the world to be coaching the 49ers. He would be even more qualified if he had a two minute offense. Okay. There you go. They, they, yeah. I mean, you know, they have to look good speeding it up from time to time because sometimes you're going to get into a game where you're going to have to play fast. And there's times um, under Shanahan where they've been down multiple scores and there's eight minutes left in the game and they're still huddling up. They're huddling up. So, um, you know, take it for what it is. Um, okay. Let's see. We have, where are we? We're right here. Jermaine Robinson, Larry, all Buffalo stars on defense didn't even play because they had the most injury ravaged defense in the playoffs. You can't leave that out. Oh, yeah. No, that's why I like Kansas City. That's why I picked Kansas City, uh, because Buffalo was at home, but Buffalo's defense was sans like five different guys. They were so beat up at one spot, linebacker, and then they got beat up even more. Klein went out with an injury in game. So, yeah, and then Mahomes, the key stat to me was Mahomes led the NFL all quarterbacks in third down scrambling for first downs. You know, he, 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 he was fantastic as a scrambler and he had a huge run in that game. And Ma, 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 I'll say this Mahomes at the great, at the core of all the great quarterbacks, um, they're great competitors. And that guy's a great competitor. I mean, if you're going to beat Kansas city, you are going to have to beat Mahomes. Um, and he just makes play after play after play in the red zone. You can feel his will. You can feel his determination. He's just, you know, he needs it. Everybody else wants it. That guy needs it. Flave. A, break, a breakdown in Kansas City's offense is usually happening for the guy on the other side of the pass. It's not coming from the quarterback. Yeah. And they still got enough, you know. Kelsey, uh, Kelsey was really good in the red zone. Flav says, I don't understand how Debo doesn't have a fracture, but is only 50-50. If nothing is structurally wrong, shouldn't he be 100%? The D-line and Purdy will determine this game, and why is Joseph Day getting so much PT? Um, you know, that's a great question on Joseph Day um, as far as how, why is he getting so much so much playing time. Well, it's, you know, Cleveland Farrell being unavailable opens up reps for him. So I think that's explained away by that. Um, should it be Beal? 
that's another question. Well, I also think that Joseph Day maybe gives you a little bit more as he's okay. Armstead is in Hargrave, your obvious ones, right? Armstead's your best inside uh, run defender. Then Hargrave's more of a pass rusher. Kinlaw is, you know, strong, but, you know, really strong at the point. Um, but blocks um, more than he does eat up running backs or quarterbacks. He, right. He, he and Givens is a pass rusher, one gap penetrator. Sebastian Joseph Day, I think, is the best combination of explosive traits and run defender behind Armstead and Hargrave. I think that's the answer. I mean, that's why, hey, man, uh, this Niner team uh, has missed DJ Jones. They missed him on the Super Bowl against Kansas City when he wasn't there and he was hurt. Um, They've missed him since he's departed. DJ was a rock in the middle. You didn't even try to run in the A-gap when the Niners had DJ Jones. They missed that force. They missed that force of nature. Um, Let me say this, Flav. You know, my, my, my tolerance for Debo's pain here should impress everybody, right? But I was surprised that there wasn't an announcement of some sort of structural damage to him when he came out of the locker room without his pads on. I thought if nothing else, you'd want to keep him in this game, possibly just to motion because who's going to get more uh, attention motioning or doing that little loop around the backfield that sometimes happens that curl motion to where you think, Oh, is Debo getting the ball here just as a, as a decoy. Like I think the guy adds an awful lot of value. So to pull him out of a game, not even use him as a decoy. Um, and then here, like, yeah, uh, Adam Schefter says he's good. Now, maybe Adam Schefter got some bad information because good has gone to 50-50 right now. But again, 50-50 on Championship Monday means he playing. <laughs> that's all That's all I mean. I, I mean, I think it's realistic to think that he probably has a recurrence of the hairline fracture that he suffered in week six against the Browns. In that situation, he missed two games. Um, he probably has a recurrence of the hairline fracture. If I was guessing, you know, it didn't, it didn't look like, um, he had his, his shoulder, you know, it wasn't like it popped out of the socket. You've seen the look where a guy's got his arm and he can't move it. And he's, you know, and they're, and they're, they're popping it back in and you can tell the guys, you know, got a dislocation or a partial dislocation. That's very easily to easy to identify, when a player has that injury, the way they hold their arm, right. he wasn't like that. So I don't think it's a dislocated shoulder. Um, and I don't think it was initially they said it was a concussion, but I, you know, watching the hits that he took at the beginning of the game, I didn't see anything that went true helmet to helmet with any force. So I don't really think it's that. I think it is probably a recurrence of the hairline fracture. You know, the guy missed two weeks. I mean, if if you if I said to you you've got a shoulder fracture, you know is two weeks enough time to let that thing heal? Probably not. But he only missed two weeks, so he's come back. He probably has a recurrence of that hairline fracture on the shoulder. It probably brings him tremendous pain. Um, you know maybe he can play with it. Maybe he can't. My guess is that he can't. Kick return. I mean, take him off kick return right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So she get, you know, you got some other guys healthy, um, you know, and well, Ray Ray's and, back. Not that Ray Ray's done very much with his return game, but Ray Ray's back. And that should mean Debo is just playing offensive snaps again. Well, and it, these days they're kicking it through the back of the end zone and the kickoff most of the time. Anyway, put Except juice. Back, I mean, you can put juice back there if you want. Yeah. You know, um, we got another one here. 
He said, uh, Cody Van Dyke says, Larry, Damon, did you see Aziz Al-Shair on the field with the Niners for their pregame group hype? Too bad the Niners didn't keep him. Big loss. I mean, what did a big loss? They're in the NFC title game. So, you know, but I mean, I, Aziz, I, like Aziz. I, I wanted them to keep Aziz. But here's the bottom line. Aziz got paid a full salary. And in the Niners structure, he only played, you know, they're in the base about 20 to 25% of the time. So you can't pay a guy in the capped era huge money to play 25% of the snaps and be an insurance policy. That being said, Aziz Al-Shair is a phenomenal player. They discovered him. You know, it was it was uh, Chris Kiffin who had the connection with him, and the Niners, another guy, undrafted free agent. Found him on the streets. He had 435 tackles in college. Um, but he had some injuries and, and, um, you know, so he, he went passed over the guy's a tackling machine. Yeah. They miss Aziz. Aziz had like 16, 17 tackles in a get couple games this year. I mean, he's a great, great player. I, I would have, I would have tried to, you know, resign him, but you know what? You can't pay, um, a guy big time prices when he plays, you know, a quarter of the plays. And good for him finding that big paycheck. He earned it, man. His life story is incredible. I mean, that guy lived out of his car for a while. So yeah. Oh, uh, the guy he was, you know, he saved his family from a kitchen grease fire. Burning house. Exactly. Um, and I talked to him about it. The interview is up on my YouTube page. He's one of my favorite guys. Um, and Rand Carthon knew what he was, and he was all of that this year for Tennessee. He is a free agent, though this off season and um, it'll be interesting to see where he winds up. And it's, it's interesting that he's got such good relationships on the Niners that as soon as his season's over, um, he's here on the sideline, you know, back in his, his brothers and his buddies and his friends, you know, it's like uh, Aziz is, is very cool. Very cool guy. Um, Matthew Waring. He says, would you consider Logan Ryan in the slot and pull Demo outside for Ambry? If Jair Brown, is good to go Sunday from Redwood City, but repping in Colorado. Let's effing go. Um, I'd consider everything at this point, all all hands on deck. But I absolutely got to see Jair Brown against this. I mean, David Montgomery is going to run right over Logan Ryan. Um, you need Jair Brown. I'll live with Jair Brown's rookie mistakes. Um, I'll take my chances. Well, but and Jair you know, Brown's got to play. Don't the Lions almost schematically lend us to seeing Jair Brown too? Because you're not worried about this over-the-top taking the lid off attack, which the Lions don't do. They don't throw deep often. Shouldn't that lead to Jair Brown getting more snaps too? I mean, just right there alone. I mean, just just the fact that Montgomery um, is a force between the tackles and Jair Brown's like having another linebacker out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am I'm. got to see Jair Brown. I mean, unless he can't move, it's Jair Brown time. I mean, there's a couple highlights. I've retweeted one. If you follow me on X, uh, I retweeted a play. You called it X. I've never yeah. actually anyone but Elon Musk hear it call it X. <laughs> I know. So I'm, I'm impressed. Well, I, feel like I'm, I feel like I better switch it up here. Um, here, I'm going to show you this play. This is a play. That you guys, this is a play that that really makes you go, what? Wait a second. Show me your ex, Larry. Here we go. 
<laughs> Here we go. Uh, and just an unbelievable job. Okay, let's take the audio down. Hold on a second. I'm getting flagged. All right, Copyright here we go. infringement. All right, go ahead. Here's a toss to Jones. 33, Ryan. Ryan, oof. Terrible, terrible angle on everything right there. He got flat-footed. He got caught leaning. I mean, you, you, you got to strike that guy. You're coming down. He's running to your side. You got to strike to that that guy. And he got one hand on him. So I mean, that's... Larry, first of all, Larry, you and I make that play ten out of ten times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's a big one right there. And and um, the back this week is is really really physical. I mean. Uh, Montgomery is a really physical running back. So you got to absolutely have Jair Brown, in my opinion. Anthony says, I tweeted to John Lynch. If Debo is out, put Conley in. Yeah, you will see Conley. And, and you know, Conley is big and fast and physical and can do the job. So I'm not afraid of using Conley. And I'm not afraid of Juwan Jennings going out there and getting Debo snaps either, but not as a running back. Only Debo can really fit that role. And I think Kyle just that first play of the third quarter against the Packers is to me the you got to explain that away. Well, I'll you, the other thing, Damon, and and you know the one thing that was really clear watching this game, and it has to change in this next round, and it's going to have to change in the Super Bowl as well if the Niners expect to win it. The Niners have to get more yards out of first down. In this game against Green Bay, they didn't get enough out of first down. A lot They've of got to get more yards first down. Again, you got Christian McCaffrey. Remember that. Use that. Make a note of that. When Shanahan's really rolling, I mean, Shanahan with the Falcons offensively had the greatest first down offense in the history of the NFL. They averaged like 8.2 yards on first down they were constantly looking at second and one second and two all year long it's like you you got to get it done on first down more than they did in this green bay game you can't just keep leaving it you can't sit at se second and nine all day and get it done you got to get more done on first down um clarence molina we are the enemy this week no one wants us to win except for the 49er fans debo's gonna play He's not going to let CJ Gardner Johnson talk trash and get away with it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a bloodbath, man. If you're a 49er offensive player, get ready to get hit. And the 49ers offensively, um, this would be a great game to you know take your shots on the outside. But man, I want to see the Niners match their physicality. I want to see the Niner offense match the physicality of Detroit's defense. Cryptic one, do you have any Niner rituals or weird things that you do that makes you think you're helping the team win? I have 49er lucky socks that tend to work, LOL. Cryptic, you better wash those Niner socks and get them ready for Sunday. No, no, never wash them until the Super Bowl is over. You don't want to wash the luck off of them. <laughs> no, I don't look at it that way. I think your, your, your lucky socks have to be ready to roll. You know, you get, they're, they're ready to roll. They might smell a little bit, but that's the smell of victory, Larry. That's you, you don't <laughs> wash the smell of victory off the lucky socks. Do you have any uh, rituals? I, I used to when I was a kid. I had a Niner glass mug that I would drink out of. Uh, I do. I was given this for Christmas. 
um, by my kids. Oh, don't, Larry, don't show that logo. You'll get an email from the 49ers. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Could you take that mug off? Excuse um, me. We're really worried about our <laughs> flagship station being dwarfed by your guys' YouTube channel. Could you please, uh, could you please uh, take that down? You guys have 1,500 people hanging out in your room, if, and it's all because of that mug. Um, okay. So I used to have a glass Niner mug that I would drink out of on game day. And, uh, I always went to that glass mug. It was huge and really heavy. Almost, it almost felt like a doorstop. It was so freaking heavy. Um, but I don't have any, any now I don't have any, uh, idiosyncrasies. It's funny. I talked to Colton McKivitz. I said, Colton, what's your game day ritual? And he's like, I got to have the same pregame meal. I'm like, what's your pregame meal? He goes, buttered noodles and two steaks. <laughs> Just two, two full steaks and a big, big, uh, big plate of buttered noodles. Carbon protein loading. Now, the right follow-up question, if you were a capital J journalist, is what cut of meat are we talking about here? And why are you having two steaks when a, you know, you can just get a 42-ounce steak? What What's going on? Let's well, you're probably going to Safeway or, you know, Costco or whatever, uh, which I'll be doing later today. I've got to go uh, shop for the family at Costco. Uh, my wife's like, my wife said to me yesterday, I don't think you're going to have enough time to go to Costco. I said, yeah, I think you're freaking right. I think it's going to be a Monday Costco. Uh, so if you're, if you're at Costco in, in uh, Concord today uh, and you see me, I'll be wearing my Brock Purdy t-shirt. Come over and say hi. Signing flat objects only. As far as uh, my guess is for Colton, because I have asked him in the past, and I think it's a porterhouse. But I think also he's kind of like one of those guys that I'll take anything. I'll take whatever steak kind of steak you got. I mean, if he, it, dude, if he's, he's not taking down, if he's taking down two porterhouses and his buttered noodles, that's muy agresivo. It really is. Because we all what know. What would be your steak of choice? Oh, it's bone and ribeye. Bone-in ribeye. The country, bone ribeye, the is, country ribeye is the superior cut of steak. It's the right amount of because, like, I to me, I'm not a fillet guy because I like some toothiness to my steak. I don't want it to just all be about texture. I like a good chew on my steak, but the fat is where the flavor lives, and I just think that the the bone-in ribeye is the ultimate marriage of toothiness, steaky bite, and the fat that makes it delicious. Yeah, that, no, I'm I'm with you on the bone-in ribeye. Um, yeah, no question. The tomahawk, what the tomahawk? Is that what it's called? Yes. But yeah. that is the tomahawk is a ribeye. It's coming right off the rib. That's why it's the big hawk. You know, it's, a, it's a, the, the tomahawk rib is from. So you rib. get it with the bone in. Yeah. And then cut it off the bone. Well, and, and normally, you know, the bone in ribeye is that little, that little round bone in the middle of the steak too, because the ribeye can come from different places. And, and the, the, the tomahawk steak is not the genuine ribeye at all time, but it's same, same part of the animal. So New um, York strip. No. So a porterhouse is the T-bone. And on one side of the porterhouse is the New York strip. On the other side of the porterhouse is the filet. So you get a New York strip and a, and a filet when you order a porterhouse or a T-bone. Uh, I'm very pro New York strip. I, I, I It's a great I, uh, the Will you pay extra for Kobe beef? Yes. Yes. Yes, I will. It's good. It's really good. It's, it's a luxury. It's like meat butter. If you really get into like the 5A5 Japanese Wagyu, like 
eight out. How about this? Colton McKivitz couldn't eat two porterhouses of Wagyu. There's so much fat in it. Just couldn't do it. Leslie says tomahawk steaks are huge. They feed about six people. They're monsters. They're monsters. I think I might go with that later today. Have you ever, Larry, been to Bobo's on Van Ness? No. I've never been to Bobo's. It's on. uh, on I've been to Morton's. I've been to Ruth Chris. I've been to um... Bobo's has a bone-in filet that is really good. Very really? good. It's, it's, it's my favorite filet in the city of San Francisco. How about flank? Where are you on flank? Love flank steak because I also, I'm a really, you know, some people will tell you. You got to cut it thin, though. You got to cut it thin. Well, but it, by nature, it is a thin cut, right? Because it's that, it's that flap that is the but flank. But even then, you got to shave it. When, you're, when you cut it, you got to kind of shave it down. A little bit. And, yeah, you got to cut it on the bias a little. You want to you, you go with the grain, not against the grain. Um but um, as much as I am a like steak OG, just salt and pepper, certainly no sauce or anything like that. Need a garlic. Pie. I also like a marinated steak and flank and skirt steaks are the best steak to marinate. I'll do a teriyaki flank steak, Larry, that'll blow your socks off. <laughs> no matter what I grill, it's still the favorite thing I pull off the grill for Jillian. She thinks it's the strongest steak that I do is a teriyaki marinated flank steak cooked how do you want to do you cook it on the gas grill or cook it on the no no. gas grills are for total pussies uh we go with i'm uh, not a gas grill myself man myself either i'm i'm a charcoal man charcoal weber baby we don't mess around if we're gonna be if we're gonna be grilling let's really grill but it's hard in the cold temperatures I, i sometimes i'll go to my brother's place and he will have the gas grill going and there's something the you know especially in the wintertime the, ga- the gas grill in the wintertime. It's, Look, convenience you know, is, uh, you can't, you cannot question the convenience of a gas grill, but you also cannot question the flavor that you get from charcoal. I love when we start talking food in the, uh, in the, <laughs> the people just avalanche of comments. And by Av- the way, you know, G-Man right here, G-Man is right. If you cannot grill, if you can't grill your steak, there may be no superior choice than the cast iron pan. A steak in a cast iron pan seared really crisp on both sides, and you pop it in the oven at 400 for like eight minutes, comes out a perfect 130. I like to pull my steak at uh, 129 and then let it come up to like 131 as it rests, Larry. Look at you. Look at you. The key, uh, so here what, is, what's uh, your favorite steak house? In the city? Yeah, well, I mean, you could go to Peter Luger's in in Manhattan or something like have that. You ever, but have you ever been to Peter Luger's? By the yes. way, yes, it is so worth it. It is so good. I mean, I went in there thinking like, how good? How much better can it really be than maybe the base best steak I've had? It is. It's spectacular. Best steakhouse in the Bay Area. What is it? <sighs> I got to think. I got Fleming's. Think. No, Ruth it, Chris it can't be a change. No, it's never going to Morton's. Be there's a there's a really good one in it right um, and Polk. It's like right down. It's right right down from uh from from that uh, House of Prime Rib. Love House of Prime Rib. By the way, the Niners went to House of Prime Rib for the Niner O line dinner. I, I got to get the details on that because I saw they invited Purdy. All the O linemen were there. I got to ask McKivitz this week about. About who who dominate who was the dominant factor 
in the House of Prime Rib Niner O-line dinner. There's always somebody. There's always some O-lineman that just is freaking, you know, just can put it away. But there was a place, I think it was called, um, God, what was it, MacArthur's? Or it was in, um, it was in Dublin. It was in Dublin on San Ramon Valley Road. If anybody, uh, McNamara's, McNamara's. A uh, guy named Barry Ford says, Damon, were you a butcher in another life? No, but I love a, <laughs> I, I, I love, I love a meat map. I love a meat map. I love, you know, there's the cow and then they, they have little dotted lines. I love I love a good meat map. I'll go. I'm I'll, I'll, I'm the guy who spends you know a half hour at Lenardi's in Ple, in uh, Pleasant Hill or Walnut Creek talking to the butcher. Oh, yeah, they're all they're all big sports fans. Dude, this is why, by the way, Butcher Boy and I became such good friends because I would go to his butcher shop to get cuts of meat over on Ocean Avenue, and so that's how I got to know the Butcher Boy. And then the Butcher Boy told me about Guerra's over on like 14th and Taraval. Okay. And he's like, I've got to go in there. He's like, that's where I, I learned an awful lot of my butchery. And he's like, 14th and Taravel. Wait a second. Past that Safeway up that way. I thought that yeah. was like, that's almost like a residential neighborhood right there. Yeah. Well, that's my side of the city, but Guerra's on 14th and Taraval is one of the best butcher shops in all of San Francisco. Okay. And, um, we used to go to Petrini's and there's a guy in there named Danny, uh, who, you know, the butcher boy was like, when you go in there, ask for Danny. Danny will take care of you. And I walked in there and I said, hey, Danny. He's like, I know that name. He's like, and by the way, Damon, he's like, it's about time you met the butcher man. That's <laughs> ah, a butcher boy. Because <laughs> uh, he, he taught he taught Shasky an awful lot of what he knows, I guess. Um, Would you pay extra for Wagyu? Yes. Um, yes. At times, certainly. Uh, by the way, Harris's might be the best steakhouse in San Francisco. Harris. What street? What street? Uh, it's right on Van Ness. It's right down the block from. Oh, House on Prime the Rib. other side from uh, the other side of the street than uh, House of Prime Rib. No, it's Harris. on the same side of the street. Same, what same is? side of Van Ness. It's on the, it's on the, uh, it's on the it was... east side of Van Ness. Oh, okay. No, I thought, it was, I thought it was on the other side. Okay. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking of a different spot. Um, I'm also not afraid. This. I'm not afraid. Gizmo of Maltese, dude is a steak connoisseur. Yeah, uh, Bazi Mian, Argentinian beef is great too. It's the best after Kobe beef. Absolutely. People said you can't get real Kobe beef in America. No, that's not true. You can. Tony Lasugan can't get real Kobe in America. You know, you can't. You well, you can, can, but it's imported from somewhere else. It's a thing. There's American Kobe beef, and then there is Japanese Kobe beef, and then there's the Wagyu beef. And now you're now you're in a now you're in a whole different price point and stratosphere. Mountain Cat. I love the task of flank. Look at you. The task of flank. <laughs> now, now people are showing off. I do like little James little Wilson little. flank. I make kebabs with. Ooh, nothing better than a than a kebab, you know. A little, little uh, maybe you got an onion on one side, a pepper on another side. I like to go onions, bell, uh, red, uh, yellow onions, red onions, bell pepper, mushroom, on my kebab, kebab. I be, I do believe those are the uh, that's the holy trinity of kebab construction. I love a, I love a, I love a kebab. I love a kebab. Ready G. Set, Martinez's tri-tip. Tri-tip. Tri-tip's a West Coast thing. Absolutely, it is. I I I never even heard of tri-tip until if you I go back east and say I have a tri-tip. They look at you like what? What? 
What do you mean? Try tip this. It's like it's one of those things where if you say, hey, give me a try tip. I know you're from California. It's like the same way. If you're like, hey, pour me a Malort. I know you're from Chicago. You know, I mean, just <laughs> look at this one. Google ba at Bazzi Mian. I heard tube steak is your favorite. Oh, look. Now people are getting now people are getting ugly. Um, we got this one from must be trouble. Flank is good for fajita tacos. Absolutely. It is a strong, but it's chewy. So you got to really, it's how you cut it. How you cut it is, is very important. Should we get back to the, to, to the football chats or I don't know we, if we need to, uh, what is it? Damon, can we get a pound it, pound it Frisco Pisco pound, pound that it, flank pound steak, it, pound it, pound it, <laughs> tenderize it, tenderize it. Gar G Martinez wine and garlic tri-tip. Since we're talking meat, can I give you the best tip in all of San Francisco? Lamb, lamb is my favorite, though, according to Mountain Cat. Yes, please. Go to House of Prime Rib. And when you're at the house, by the way, I, I don't took my wife there. I bumped into Gary St. Jean. Nice. Um, I love Gary. Uh, I, I don't. W when you say, hey, let's go get a steak. I'm not thinking prime rib, even though it's both. Oh, red prime meat. rib is a great prime rib. And the House of Prime Rib, prime rib is buttery good but they're two totally different things like in my mind like a yeah. steak oh, yeah. and a prime ribs different is different um when you go to the house of prime rib next larry i love it me. i love ask it and me. if you if you appear with larry beal on any of his shows they give you a little house of prime rib thank you gift card get your get your king cut medium rare and then ask them to take it back to the kitchen and sear it <laughs> look at you you're like my you're like my late father ordering off the menu. Yeah, you can get your the next time you're at excuse the house. Me, excuse rib, me, Mater D, could you come over? Here's uh, the thing. As soon I'd as like it seared. Have, as soon as you ask to have that seared, seared, they're gonna look at you like you've been there before and you know what you're doing. Like you'll get a that no, no, they're gonna look at you like this guy better tip me 25 fucking percent. Well, of course we tip 25%. We're not animals. <laughs> 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 Wait a second. Doddle, Doddle lover says, I challenge you, Damon, on my teriyaki flank steak. Oh, you want to take that Pepsi challenge? First of all, are you using <laughs> the very teriyaki blend that I use? Because the very teriyaki blend and you go low sodium. Got to go low sodium on that. Look at that. Harry Pitts. Gordon Ramsay has entered the chat. West Coast King salt and pepper ribeye with garlic butter. Let That's me the one thing about, about going to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. They do use they it's a, they you they may if 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 you can over butter they may well it, it's to go a very a buttery butter on that because Peter Luger serves you a sizzling steak on a plate of butter it's in a moat of butter <laughs> um, and by the way butter does make steak better butter makes everything better um, if I also if we're really gonna get into the how do you how do you take that steak game to another level compound butter. Look at you. And the night before, leave a stick of butter. Now you're just showing off. Leave the stick of butter out to come up to room temperature. Morning of making the steak, I want you to take uh, garlic and some herbs, and you dice them up nice. I mean, mince the shit out of them. Then you take it into the butter, and you whip it all together, and that is the compound butter that you then, when you take your steak off the grill to let it rest, you put a big slather of compound butter that you made that morning on top of the steak, and you just let the magic happen trent says real men hunt their own meat well i don't know about that if you're talking about tube steaks in san francisco there's plenty 
I grew up in the, I grew up in the city, man. I I, I believe in uh, you know Petrini's on the in the West Bay, uh, Lenardi's in the East Bay. I mean, I've always said it. I've said that a lot, many many times. I'm very consistent. Irwin Kwong's is Harris Ranch. Harris Ranch beef, very good. Very Harris good. Ranch. If you ever stop on the way down and uh, and get some Harris Ranch, uh, you know, steaks at the butcher shop there. Uh, no, we have not stopped on the five as you're driving down to L.A. to go to the Harris. But boy, you can smell it when you're on your <laughs> you way. Can. When you're around Harris Ranch, you know it. All right, back to the chats. Uh, how do we get into that? Uh, Somebody said, "Relax." Yeah. No, it's no. It was the uh, pregame ritual. Who'd you said eat eats two steaks? McKivitz. Oh, McKivitz. Yeah, McKivitz. So maybe he got maybe he got down and dirty at the uh, House of Prime Rib. Maybe it was his night to shine. Seriously, I bet you it was. Uh, Chant uh, Clarence Molina. We are the enemy this week. No one wants us to win except for Niner fans. Debo going to play. He's not going to let. Okay, we already got that one. We got that one. Oh, we had the rituals. That may have gotten us into. Here we go. Greg Argisi. I didn't say blowout. I said relax. Have faith. RJZ. Okay. (laughs) Relax. Greg, we'll let you know when it's time to relax. (laughs) Don't Aaron Rodgers us, Greg. Relax. R-E-L-A-X. Hey, would you rather a talk show host that you need was too fired up and you had to tell him to relax? Or would you rather a dull talk show host that you said, hey, man, you're too relaxed? I'd rather be told to relax than told, hey, man, you need to get it going. You're too relaxed. What's harder to do? Ask Draymond to stop punching the opponent or ask Andrew Wiggins, hey, punch somebody, would you please? Would you rather listen to a show that you wish they would take a nap or watch a show that the guy is taking a nap? <laughs> <laughs> it was a compelling interview with Kyle Shanahan. What do you think? <laughs> My, Mike Baker. Larry, can you ask Kyle to practice to practice hurry up offense? I kind of did about a month ago or two months ago. I kind of was like, hey, are you gonna think about busting that out? Um and he's like, We may, we may. How about this? If you think you're gonna meet the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, how are you not working on hurrying shit up? Right. And guess what? You better be aggressive at the end of the first half because you know Mahomes in the second half is going to put you know put it in the end zone a couple times. So right. don't think you know if you got them down that you're keeping them down. Right. If the other team is playing cocaine off the back of the toilet level, hurry up football. You you better at least do something to march a little faster. Wesley and I have no idea what that even that reference meant, but uh, there you go. Wesley Brooks says, "I don't see a path to us winning the Super Bowl based on the four teams left. We look old and soft. Our window is closed. I feel, I will hope, but I'm very skeptical." Uh, Wesley, I would I would say every one of these teams left has flaws. Kansas City's offensive tackles have have committed tons of penalties this year. Kansas City led the league in drops. They don't really have consistent receivers outside of Kelsey. They're leaning on Rashi Rice, a rookie, um, to carry them offensively. So that they don't have. It's not like they're perfect. Uh, Baltimore is probably the most complete team, but Baltimore is a bully team that if you get a lead on them, um, they have to play from behind, and they're not as good. They're, they're wide receivers outside of Zay Flowers are just guys. Their running backs are totally ordinary. 
their offensive line has got some weaknesses in it as well. Um, as far as Detroit, Detroit's got corners that, you know, wouldn't start for any of these teams. You know, the Cam Sutton is not an elite corner. And so I think every one of these teams has weaknesses is my point. <laughs> By the way, uh, old dirty hungus steak, toilet, cocaine, and a bit of sports. I found my Xanadu. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you what, Larry, I got, I got like, uh, I got a little something that I got to go do before I start my show at 11. All right. Uh, we only have four here. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll pile through power through this Niner mafia. Uh, Niners checked off two boxes on Saturday, comeback win and winning a grimy game. No question. Uh, Eric Warner says new member. Congratulations. New member. Always a little clap. Welcome. Welcome. Gizmo Maltese is our D line poorly coached talent. But few sacks. Poor coaching um, is not their problem. Yeah. It's not about coaching. It might be a little bit about, um, they may be a little, a little fatigued. They may be a little dinged up. They may be a little under. There's a couple guys in there that may have bigger names than they have games at this point. Um, words of wisdom. Guys, just made a cool Star Wars 49er Empire video. Tagged you on Twitter. Feel free to share. Great show. It's funny because that's exactly where my show is beginning at 11 o'clock. A discussion of the Niner Empire, what I thought it meant, what it really means, what the reference is, and how no one will be rooting for the 49ers but 49er fans this Sunday. So, words of wisdom, we're kind of on the same page there. All right. Hey, that's going to pretty much do it for us. Um, you know, Tom, <laughs> bring on the Lions. You know, Dan Campbell, I, 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 Dan Campbell reminds me of the, a guy that I met the other day at Amici's. Uh, he, you know, he's so angry, uh, but you know, deep down, I think he's a good hearted soul, but you know, he's the kind of guy that goes atomic with the wings at, at Amici's. I was telling everybody that the single most superior cut of steak is something that I don't even consider anymore. Cause I'm living a vegan lifestyle now and you got the atomic wings and I'll go ahead and I'll have the atomic broccoli, but that's all I want. It's just a little broccolini. You can put some, some <laughs> hot pepper on the broccolini. That's very nice doing it. If you tried the minestrone, the you know, you know, it's funny that you say that Ralph, cause I was just telling Damon and Lowry, but they got to stop eating so many steaks and have some broccolini. You know, I, that's that's one of the things I do every day. I got washboard abs because I like my broccolini. broccolini Thank you, Ralph. Just, broccolini is just pea shoots with a better agent, right? <laughs> hey, everybody. Have a great day. Check out Damon at 11, right? What are you yep. doing at 11? 11 o'clock, we're getting going. Little uh, uh, plus gathering, getting ready for a big, big week. And uh, not only do we have an awful lot of football to discuss, but we're going to take a look at what the mission coming up for the Golden State Warriors is after a very traumatic week. So we're going to be talking about all that. A uh, little club plus. And before it's all said and done, it's going to be a great week, Larry. I'm looking forward to the fact that you and I are going to be doing Wake Up Again Friday morning, 8 a.m., and much more certainly coming up should the 49ers reach the Super Bowl, which hopefully by Sunday night they will have. You know, I'm off to Costco, Lowry. And I'll, I'll tell you, if I see you at Concord's Costco, I'll, I'm, I'm going to talk broccolini and we're going to talk some steak. You can bank on that. Go Niners. <laughs>